This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, helping you do what we can on the show to give you the tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. Hello, top of the morning to you. Is it Tuesday? It's Wednesday. I had a late night last night. Late night. What a great thing. I have a couple that came to my class last night. She's retiring from the military after 30 years, full bird colonel. He's retiring as a school teacher. 35 years, 40 years teaching school. I'm like, what do you do? What do you do now? Your life is just set. And they like, we're coming to marriage classes because oh wow, now we got a lot of time to be together. Yeah. How cool is it? I mean, someday you'll get a chance to retire like that. How old are they, would you say? They're probably 58, 59, 60. Doesn't that seem sort of early to retire? It does. Well, he's 10 years older. So yeah. what are you going to do with your time now? Well, I think when you retire, it just means you're going to finally not have to go to that one job you've spent 40 years at or 30 years. So are you so – re- I'll you never re- retire. Are you retiring or are you just getting a new job? You're just getting a new job. You're just you're, – what you're doing is you're re – you're moving all of your problems to another area. <laughs> you're realigning your problem load. Because I've heard all kinds of people retire and then they get another job and you're yeah. like – so you did. I asked them retire. that. I, are you guys going to retire? And they're like, "I mean, are you going to really retire? Are you going to go? No, we're probably going to go serve. They're going to go to India, teach okay. people to read. They're going to go and to speak English. And I mean, it's you can't. I, I don't want to retire because then you just you start getting. You can't get out of your lazy boy chair. No, you know, you just sink into the crater you, you create <laughs> on your couch. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, someday. Just know, everybody out there in driver land, you all get to someday, it'll all be over. Some of you are like, not soon enough. By the way, today on this date, December 2nd, cheerleading is started at the University of Minnesota with Johnny Campbell leading the crowd and cheering on the football team. There you go. Who'd have thunk that it was a guy? That's cool. Good job, Johnny Campbell. I bet he's dead by now. Uh, 18 what? 1898. Yeah, probably. In 1983, on this day, MTV aired Michael Jackson's Thriller video. Just in time for the holidays. For the first time. Oh, that was a good video. It still is. The song was not released as a single until January 23rd, 1984. So the album was released in November. Then the first week of December, Thriller comes out. Yeah. Which. That was great. And then at the end, then it. Back into January is when they released the single. You know, oh, Michael Jackson. He was amazing. That's sad. I mean, who's our new Michael Jackson? There's a lot of people trying to uh, yeah. reach for that status, but they haven't quite made it there. Yeah, Adele. Did you hear Adele's numbers? 40 million albums sold. Unbelievable. Let's just say she makes a buck. Just do the math. A dollar for each sale, which she doesn't. She doesn't. She makes more than that. Or less. I would bet more. Think so? 
Yeah. See, she's it's her taking, third album. She's taking criticism because uh, she's not letting her album on any streaming service. Wow. So Spotify, Apple Music, any of that. It, It'll get there. It's not there. And the reason was that she wanted people to buy the album. Yeah. And guess what? They bought the album. Yeah. It's brilliant. But they, she gets criticism because the streaming services is what helps other artists. Right. It lifts the whole, yeah. It the elevates whole, the, the whole, whole industry is lifted. And, and so by taking her... So she's, who she criticized? She's criticized by the people that don't sell albums. Well, yeah, but that's where she was kind of discovered, and where she, you know she kind right. of made some some in, inroads in her career. Beginning was people are able to stream her music and listen to it. Now, when she takes her music off because she's famous, it, it you know yeah. she's she's kind of abandoning what helped make her what she is. She, I, I bet it'll get there. But at the same time, you just watch it all on YouTube for free, anyways. That's right, man. She's, but she's reinvigorating. I mean, it, we all got a little tired of music for a bit. Kind of tired of Adele. <laughs> How could you be tired of Adele? Because she keeps saying hello. Oh, she's good. I saw there was some Target ad <laughs> I saw on TV over the weekend. I'm like, oh man, hello again. Yeah. So Adele's rocking it. Uh, I'm still thinking. I can't get the Warriors out of my head. I don't know why. Because they're undefeated. Yeah, but. That shouldn't matter to me. I'm They're not, what eighteen and 0, 19 19 and 0 now? and They have to get the thirty three to tie the record. Yeah. Did you hear about the spider that pretty much trashed a guy's flat? Well, I don't know if the spider did. <laughs> Police were questioning a flushed and out of breath man who answered the door to a flat near Sydney, Australia. The booming sounds of a man shouting, "I'm going to kill you!" and a woman screaming hysterically had earlier echoed through the apartment block sometime before 2 a.m. This happened to my son-in-law, too, by the way. Really? Their their smoke alarm went off. Oh, that is a big spider. Their smoke alarm went off in the middle of the night, 2 a.m., about. The smoke alarm goes off, and they're freaking out, like, what the heck? And my son-in-law gets up to take the battery out of the smoke alarm, and the spider runs out like that. Freaks them all out. But the spider set the well, alarm He off. ran out of the smoke alarm. The spider did. Uh-huh. The spider was... How big of a spider are we talking about? Like 12 feet. A 12 foot long? 12 foot by 12 foot. It's huge. And, okay. It's weird that it could even get in that little smoke alarm. This guy, though, in Sydney... the Okay. Oh, that spider's got... Somebody needs to shoot that spider. <laughs> it's like a dog. Yeah. Somebody needs to just kill it. Let's see, did we get it? Taken care of. Yeah, it took, yeah. took care of it. That right works. Um, <laughs> the commotion disturbed the neighbors who were quick to alert the local police force. Where's your wife? Asked one of the policemen. I don't have one. The homeowner responded after <laughs> inhaling some air. Where's your girlfriend? The officer continued. I don't have one, he said. The officers then told the man that the neighbors had heard death threats, screams, and the crash of furniture being flung around the apartment. It was a spider, the man tentatively explained, a really big one. Incredulous, the police asked, what about the woman screaming? Yeah, you know, sorry, that was me, he said. I really, really hate spiders. <laughs> so high-pitched screams, mm-hmm. and then, then he'd yell in his man voice that he's yeah. going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> then he'd break furniture. So he wasn't yelling that he was going to kill the, the woman. He was the woman. 
He was screaming. So he was he was doing the high pitched voice, and he wanted to kill the spider and the threats that people thought were domestic violence. By the way, he was clutching desperately a can of insect spray. <laughs> Have you seen that YouTube video of the guy that's about six eight that won't kill the spider on the ceiling? No. It is the funniest thing. Just look up spider and man screaming on YouTube. It is hilarious. I showed it at a date night because the husband, the wife kept calling out his manhood. Like, be a man. (laughs) Kill the spider. And the video runs like six minutes of him just terrified to kill a spider on the ceiling. And the ceiling's like a foot from his head. So it's like all you had to do is kill it. He's like right there. But he couldn't do it. And the kids were like screaming. Everyone was screaming. And then she's like... You better kill it. And, and he, he tries to kill it, and he kind of is so weak about it that it just hits near it with a shoe, and then it falls to the ground, and then all chaos breaks out. They all start freaking out. Be a man. Yeah, that's it. Call your man's manhood into question. Uh, anyway, watch out for your spiders. We got a great uh, topic uh, just to enlighten us. Do you remember Charlie Sheen? was just He just announced he's HIV positive. And it was interesting when he announced that we had a big discussion about HIV and AIDS, like, wow, are people still dying of that? Because what about Magic Johnson? And we realized that, you know, we, we haven't been paying attention to AIDS very much. And yesterday was AIDS Awareness Day. So we wanted to bring in a researcher here from Brigham Young University, Dr. Bradford Burgess will be joining us. And we're going to be giving you all the latest details, the information, the research about HIV and AIDS. 1.2 million Americans suffering with HIV right now. Uh, 35 million worldwide. And the problem is you've got – it's you, your life expectancy is almost the same as any normal human without AIDS or HIV, but you have to be taking the drugs. You have to be on the meds. So he'll be, uh, he'll be walking us through the myths, blowing up and some of the myths and teaching us what's really going on with AIDS uh, and is it, is it a pandemic still? I think it's like $20 billion a year spent on AIDS. Um, and AIDS research. So we'll get to that in a minute. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Thanks, Matt. Ben Carson slid to a third-place tie in a Quinnipiac poll released today after pulling into a virtual tie with Donald Trump last month. Among National Republican voters, Senator Marco Rubio moved into second place with 17%. Ted Cruz tied Carson at 16%. Trump maintains his lead, moving up three percentage points to 27%. Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madgen has reportedly asked the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division to investigate the Chicago Police Department. The request comes after an outcry over the department's cover-up of the shooting of of 16-year-old Laquan McDonald last fall and other violent incidents that resulted in the deaths of teenagers. Earlier on Tuesday, Mayor Rahm Emanuel fired Police Chief Superintendent Gary McCarthy. Public trust in the leadership of the department has been shaken and eroded. This morning... I formally asked for his resignation. He has become an issue rather than dealing with the issue. Emanuel announced the uh, firing of McCarthy only days after the top Chicago cop insisted to reporters that the mayor, quote, had his back. So this came as a surprise <laughs> to him, apparently. The FBI processed 1,800 or 185,345 gun background checks on Black Friday, setting a new record. The 2015 number was about 5% higher than the number performed on Black Friday in 2014. The checks are required for permits and purchases from federally licensed dealers. On the same day, three people were murdered at a by a gunman at a Planned Parenthood office, which they think added to the high number. Well, of it's almost like every time they process. talk about we need to do something about guns the sales go through the roof. Yes. 
Maybe we ought not talk about it as much. Stop talking about it. Let's just do something. Since 2002, Mustafa Alaziz Ashamir, who I think, has been held at Guantanamo Bay as an enemy combatant. And on Tuesday, U.S. officials admitted that he wasn't the person they originally thought he was. My bad. So for what, 13 years? Since 2002? You know what? We are so sorry. They had the wrong guy in Guantanamo. And they're like, well, he was fighting for in Afghanistan with al-Qaeda, but he wasn't the same guy we thought he was. His name was Mustafa. Are you kidding? 13 years. 13 years with the wrong guy. He was a low-level Islamist foot soldier, but not the high-level target that they thought he was. Boy, that guy thought that... So whoops. this is what I get for being a foot soldier. Yeah. Oh, that's that's too bad. For and me. this is good news. Yeah. For Twenty five days in a row, U.S. drivers have seen the retail price of gasoline fall. Oh. And that should be a prevailing trend through the end of the year, according to AAA. That's great. The Motor Club reports a national average retail price for a gallon of regular unleaded gas at two hundred four a gallon, a fraction of a cent less than Monday's, and fifteen cents or six percent less than one month ago. In a weekly report. On the retail sector, AAA said that the, uh, an end to the annual busy season of refinery maintenance, basically it's going to continue to drop through the first part of 2016. Yeehaw! So lower gas prices all around. That is excellent. The only people that's not good for is anyone involved in the oil industry. Yeah. Because they're losing jobs because... Oh, isn't that hard? We're sorry for you, but thank you. Because, yeah. you know, now we can drive our big SUVs again. Get out the Hummer! Oh, wow. I know. I saw that. Those prices dropping. And then all of a sudden, you get to go. Uh, I, I went on a road trip for Thanksgiving, and it was amazing how some towns just hold you hostage. 60 cents more a gallon if you want to buy it on the road versus, you know, some of the bigger cities. Interesting, interesting. We are going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Bradford Burgess will be joining us. He is a professor of microbiology and molecular biology here at Brigham Young University. He has his own lab uh, studying HIV and AIDS, and he's going to help us just understand the status of the disease. What's going on with HIV? You know, what's the prognosis now? You would think it would just be fading away, right? But uh, apparently it's, it's, there's an uptick and it, we're, you know, certain populations are much more likely to be to contract HIV. We'll be just talking about the research. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we got a great uh, friend and guest in the studio with us today. Dr. Bradford Burgess is with us. You may remember him if you were listening to the show a few, probably a month ago, a month and a half ago. We were talking about MRSA and uh, this great professor here at BYU who, with his brother-in-law, basically are trying to find uh, a cure, not a cure, but a a method to cure MRSA, to get rid of MRSA, the big superbug. And uh, he, he's put together a, a topical spray that kills MRSA, but now he's trying to figure out how we can get it injected into the body to kill MRSA in the body on the site. His name's Dr. Bradford Burgess, professor of microbiology and molecular biology here at Brigham Young University. Today, we've asked him to come talk to us about the research he's been doing in HIV and AIDS. 
Brad, great to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. So you're, you're taking on MRSA, the nasty superbug that just eats your body away. And everyone's heard of a tragic, horrible story with someone they love. You, yours was with your father-in-law. That's right. Who lost a leg to MRSA because of a, a diabetic sore. Yes. Unbelievable. And then you and the, the son, his, the, the man's son, your brother-in-law, you decide to go figure out how to take on MRSA. Yeah, that's true. It's an, an interesting story to adopt a new area of research. Like it's, that. I think it's really powerful. And then, then you um, you also though uh, have been studying HIV and AIDS research. And when Charlie Sheen, I you know, announced that he had um, contracted HIV, we were talking on the show, and we realized how ignorant we had become. In the eighties and nineties, it was the plague, right? Do you remember that? And oh, it was, I, I remember. It was, remember, Arthur Ashe died, uh, Magic Johnson announced, Carl Malone wouldn't play basketball on the same court with him, all of this stuff. It was a death sentence back in the day. It was. But uh, teach us now what's going on with the research. About 1.2 million Americans have HIV, 35 million worldwide. Um, what's, what's going on with it? Is, is HIV a death sentence like it used to be? It's it's not because we have a number of drugs that we can use to treat people with HIV. That, But basically those drugs, they delay the onset of AIDS. None of these drugs are a cure for HIV. Yeah. You know, once you get HIV, you have it for life. And so people are working to develop new drugs uh, to be able to treat HIV, to prevent transmission to new people, to prevent the onset of AIDS. And there's there's a lot of work going on to try and develop vaccines too, but that's been it's been quite slow mm. to develop vaccines, mostly because HIV evolves very quickly. Does it? And so it's a moving target to trying to develop a vaccine because there's so many different strains out there. You may develop a great vaccine for one strain, but it, the vaccine may not protect against the other strains out there that are different. That's one of the things I've realized as we've talked about MRSA and all these other things. Th- these aren't – this isn't a target you just go hit because it's constantly changing. I mean I guess even uh, – we had another researcher from BYU on um, Alzheimer's research and yeah. he's, he says it's the same thing. You're not treating one thing. You're treating a constantly evolving, changing problem. Yeah, and HIV is notorious for developing drug resistance too, just like MRSA does. Really? Yeah, I mean we've got lots of different drug options available, but HIV mutates ex- exceptionally quickly. You get you start giving somebody some of these drugs, and within weeks to months, they can already be resistant to one of the drugs you're giving them. That's why they give you three different drugs hmm. from the get-go when, when you're diagnosed with well, HIV. And that was the big deal. Back in the day, you remember uh, Magic Johnson would have to take this huge cocktail of drugs, a bunch of drugs, but I guess they've got it now down to just a couple pills a day, but it, it includes three drugs in the in each pill. It does. But yeah. but really now what that does is it what does that what does the the new medication do to HIV? It doesn't it can't get rid of it. What does it do? Just mitigate it, nominate yeah, make it, it it just stops its ability to replicate, really. But HIV is incredibly adept at hiding inside of our bodies. Mm. So when HIV goes to replicate itself to make new, more virus, what it does is it actually takes its nucleic acids, its genome, and it inserts them into our cells' genomes. So oh, wow. it basically cuts open human DNA, pastes in HIV DNA, and then seals up the gaps. So now... You have HIV in your DNA. 
It, so it's not – yeah, it's not going – that doesn't go away. That doesn't go away and our immune system is not very good at finding viral DNA stuck into our DNA. Isn't that – what an advancement in disease because now yeah. you've got a disease that actually goes in and changes your DNA. Yeah. Smart, smart disease. <laughs> yeah. Does it um, – when you think about – I mean, it used to be the death sentence, but now does it does it change our longevity? Does it change our lifespan if we have HIV? It, it certainly does. And in some of these sub-Saharan African countries, there are some of these countries where nearly 50 percent of the adults mm. in the entire country are HIV positive. So you may have heard of AIDS orphans before. Yeah. I mean, there are millions and millions of AIDS orphans around the world because their parents you know, one of them got HIV, transmits it to the other. They both die. Do they know they have HIV or is one of the big problems that they just – they don't even know they have it? They, do they just now assume if 50 percent of the population could have it, you just assume you have it? Yeah. Well, it, it's quite wide, widespread. But some of these places, there's a stigma against having HIV. So people don't really want to know if they have right. it because there's a cultural stigma. Hey, if you've got this, you're, you're tainted, you know, you're no good, you're, you're unclean, mm-hmm. you know, so. Well, and we went through that in the 80s and 90s where, like, again, Carl Malone wouldn't go on the court with uh, Magic Johnson. I remember I was an EMT on an ambulance. And back in the day, you know, the paramedics were the toughest guys you've ever met. They would just stick an IV in you and you'd bleed all over and they'd just wipe the blood off with their hand. But when HIV hit... All the general precautions hit. You had to glove up, gown up, mask up, glasses. And I remember – I mean it was terrifying. It's one of the reasons I actually quit being an EMT because I'm like, why would you risk your life for someone hacking up blood? <laughs> Is it are – we as, are we as precautious today as we used to be? Are we lightening some of that? Are we still pretty afraid well, of the fluids, the blood, the – all the liquids that we got to deal with. We're, we're still cautious and for good reason. But back in that time, we didn't really understand that this virus is not as transmissible as lots of other ones. This is not like influenza where you can be coughing and sneezing. Yeah. I can give it to you across the room. I mean, this does require direct contact. And as far as we understand, if you get HIV positive blood on your skin, unless there's some type of abrasion, the likelihood of you getting infected is very, uh, very low. Is it, see, but that created some of the stigma was we just didn't know. That's why one of the reasons I wanted you on here. So it's not easily contracted, but you – I guess it is it, – interestingly, in some cultures today, it's still on the rise. I mean back in, in the gay culture, um, male-to-male uh, AIDS or HIV infection is going up again. Yes, yeah, that, that's the highest risk group is is men who have sexual contact with other men. Um, yeah, that there's there's more abrasion that goes on in that type of activity, yeah. and so the likelihood of getting tears and and then the virus being able to, to creep through because this is a virus that infects immune cells. It doesn't infect you know skin cells or epithelial cells. It has to have some type of venue. It has to, to get into to get your up, blood yeah, system exactly. And does it um, when people contract HIV, if they get on the drugs and they're taking the drugs and the drug regimen like Magic Johnson, he's very clear to say, I haven't, I haven't gotten rid of HIV because we were even saying that I thought, I, thought he, I thought he somehow – it was no longer in his system. He has HIV, but the drugs keep him in a state of health basically. Yeah. Well, he, he's an unusual case. There, there's a low percentage of people in the human population that 
are genetically, they're much more resistant to HIV than other people. And I don't know if anyone's done any research on, on Magic Johnson himself to find out why he's one of these so-called elite controllers. They can control HIV in a way that, you know, wow. 98% of the population can't control it. You know, virtually everybody else who got infected with HIV in the early 90s has already died yeah. right now. Yeah. And so even, even with the current meds, they're still dying. Yeah. It's, it's really just delaying the onset you know, how long does it take? Because the drugs, they don't stop the virus. They just slow it down so it can't replicate. And a problem with those drugs is that they have some toxic side effects. Oh. And and so people don't want to take the drugs every day. They say, you know what? I want to have some fun this weekend. I don't want to take my drugs that make me feel sick all the time. Mm-hmm. I'll take a little time off. And then that allows the virus to start to rebound. Uh-huh. Um, and then as it rebounds and you have lower drug concentrations, you're more apt to develop the drug resistance too because the drug concentrations go down. Right. Any, of those, any of that virus inside of you that can replicate just a little bit starts to replicate better because you have suboptimal It's almost like antibiotics where you start feeling okay and you quit taking so you don't take the whole set of antibiotics and then all of a sudden it's built itself back up again. Yeah. Interesting. Is it um, – is it – do you see a cure? I mean do you see this – are we even advanced enough that we could say we could, we'll be able to cure AIDS within the next 20 years? You know what? We're getting a lot closer. You know, on, on the one aspect, we are um, doing some good vaccine research, you know, different groups around the world. There, there was a, a famous study done with the U.S. Army and the government of Thailand that was done several years ago. They had a vaccine that was 30 percent protective. In other oh, really? words – that, you know, they had about three in ten people that would have gotten infected, um, didn't get infected. They did this study with commercial sex workers, so people who who have sex to be able to survive. That that is their job. And so, you know, because normally you say, "How in the world do you do a yeah, study how do you like get, that? How do you find the sample?" <laughs> so they they had these people who were HIV negative, and what they did is they injected them with a modified virus. It's actually a canary pox virus, which is a pretty random kind of virus. A canary pox is like a chicken pox, but well, it's a canary. Kind of. It, well, it's more like a pox virus, like the one that causes smallpox okay. that we've eliminated from, from the world. But this canary pox virus, it has some of HIV's genes in it. So you inject somebody with this virus and it serves like a vehicle to deliver these HIV genes into the people's cells. And then it starts to make the HIV proteins. And that's what our immune system can recognize Holy as form. Cow. But, you know, that vaccine's not that great. Anytime you see a 30% success rate, you're yeah. like, okay, that's uh, not very good. Right. But that was way better than any other vaccine mm-hmm. candidate we, we've ever attempted so far. Well, and 30% in sub-Saharan Africa would be 10 million lives. Yeah. Yeah, so so we're getting closer on the vaccine front. Um, it'll take some additional work, and they've looked at the successes and failures, and they keep trying to build upon the successes and see how can we modify this to make it even better. So they're doing follow-up work on the, on that particular vaccine, and I'd expect that it will be better. You know, will it be ninety or one hundred percent? Yeah, you get it up to seventy-five percent, then you're on to something, maybe, huh? Yeah, powerful, um, powerful direction there. Uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Bradford Burgess about HIV and AIDS research. He's performing um, a lot of it here on BYU campus. He's a professor of microbiology and molecular biology, and uh, studies how viruses can cause disease in humans. We're talking to the experts, folks, helping you understand a little bit more what's really going on with HIV out there. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We uh, are honored to have Dr. Brad Burgess here. Uh, he's a researcher, a professor of microbiology and molecular biology at Brigham Young University. He's, uh, he's the guy we had on the show. I know you heard about uh, his work with MRSA in trying to basically eliminate MRSA either topically or eventually, you know, injecting it into your body. How cool is that, that you can actually take other bacteria from your body to go attack MRSA? Um, he's also here today to talk to us about HIV and AIDS research that he's doing, um, which yesterday was uh, HIV AIDS Day and uh, just Awareness Day to make sure that we are aware. One of the things we wanted to do is blow up some myths. One of the myths is simply to keep thinking that this is just um, that this is just a disease that affects the the homosexual uh, world or culture and. It's not, is it? This is something, uh, Brad, that affects women, men, children. In sub-Saharan Africa, 35 million people have AIDS, 50% of certain populations. And it's, they're, they're not all homosexual. Certainly not. But they end, up, they end up infecting their families. A lot of people don't know that they're, they're HIV positive. And so one of, the, one of the goals is to get out there – and be tested. Find out if you have HIV so you're not just blindly spreading it. Yeah, that, that's really important. If, if people have any of the symptoms of HIV, you know, some of these things like night sweats and, and so forth, it's important to get text tested. Or if you've, if you've been sexually promiscuous in the past, we know that heterosexual transmission happens. It's not as frequent as men having sex with other men, but it certainly does happen. And if you have other sexually transmitted diseases like, like herpes or chlamydia, some of these other things, you have a much higher risk of getting HIV. Is, um, we used to also – we used to always talk about drug use, IV drug use, sharing of needles. It, it, I don't seem to hear that as much as worrying more about sexual interaction. Is, H, is, is drug use still a major driver of HIV? Uh, it, it certainly contributes, you know – not as many people participate in IV drug use as people that right. have promiscuous sex. And so that's why it's not as notorious for transmission. But, you know, just a couple of months ago, I was reading about an outbreak in, in some relatively rural community in Indiana where a lot of people are using, you know, intravenous drugs. And, and all of a sudden they find in this small community, tons of people have HIV. Oh, wow. So it, you, it certainly does contribute to, to epidemics. And that would be HIV. sharing needles. And so, again, you need – Somehow to access bloodstreams, so blood to blood contact, basically. Yeah, blood to blood contact is the best chance of getting mm. this virus. Is and one of the cool things you were just teaching is that what AIDS does is it actually gets into your system, but it also it doesn't just stay in there like a virus or whatever. It actually integrates in and actually encodes into your DNA, so it's carried in your DNA. It is. And you're doing some other research with some guys at UNLV about that. Talk to us about some of that research. Yeah, so one of the challenges with trying to cure people that have HIV is they have the, the DNA of HIV is integrated into their cells. And potentially millions of those cells are just kind of quietly sitting there. Just sitting there like a time bomb. Yeah. And in many cases, these cells aren't even trying to make HIV particles. It's just the DNA just sitting there quietly. It's like the formula. Yeah. Is there to destroy you when it needs to. Yeah, but our immune system can't find that DNA. If the cell is trying to make HIV, our immune system is relatively good at finding those cells and trying to kill them. 
So this is what we call latent HIV. It's hiding under the radar. And so in this collaboration that we have with Marty Schiller at UNLV, he's developed an enzyme that can seek out this HIV DNA that has inserted itself into human DNA, and the enzyme will, will scan across the entire human DNA sequence until it finds HIV. Wow. And when it finds it, it will cut right there where HIV is, and then you end up getting mutations in the HIV DNA that deactivate the virus so it can no longer replicate. So you now have enzymes. I mean, remember the whole human genome project and how many ever years that took and the big computers it took to figure it out? We now have an enzyme that you can that can go in, go through the DNA, find the HIV, latent HIV in the DNA, and cut the DNA line basically, you know, basically nullifying the the problem, killing yeah. it. And so you see how this could be a potential cure for HIV because when people aren't taking the drugs properly, these cells that have the latent HIV, they've just been sitting there unaffected by the drugs all along. You stop taking your drugs and these cells can kind of wake up, start making HIV all over again. So if you can give somebody the drugs that suppresses the ability of HIV to to replicate itself and you give them one of these enzymes – and you know the trick of this is getting the enzymes into the cells that actually need it. That that's the roadblock yeah. right now. But in theory, you could you could both stop the HIV that's trying to replicate and deactivate the HIV that's trying to hide. So you are you're about to do some studies to see if you can do this not just in a petri dish but in a live animal testing. Yeah, live animal testing with HIV is challenging. Because mice and rabbits and rats and so forth, they don't get infected with yeah, HIV. They're, it just they're not out doing promiscuous them. sex. <laughs> right? Well, the, <laughs> even if they were or even if you just inject tons of HIV into them, it just it, – the virus they, it doesn't, doesn't replicate. Take. Yeah. It's the same reason why your dog might get a virus and then you never get the virus from your dog. It's yeah. just – it's not compatible with that type of host. So in our laboratory, what we use are, are what are called humanized mice. We take mice – that are genetically engineered to not develop certain types of immune cells. And because they don't develop those immune cells, we can transplant human blood cells into the mice, and the mice could care less that they have human cells within them because the immune cells that would normally seek and destroy those human cells, they're just not there. So what we do is we get these, uh, these stem cells from human umbilical cord blood that's donated to science. And we extract out the cells that are the, the stem cells that form your entire blood system. And we transplant them into these mice. And then they develop a human immune system inside the mouse, which includes all the major wow. target cells that HIV likes to infect. So we basically transplant the mice to make a, a mouse, which is now infectable by HIV because it's got all the, all the human And then you can see what actually happens. It'll, it'll basically mirror a human Immune system. Exactly. Yeah, people have been using these humanized mice since the late 1980s, but the the technology to produce a humanized mouse and to get a more faithful human immune system has gotten much much better yeah. over the past 10 years or so. So what's amazing about this though is as you're going on trying to figure out how to take on HIV, you're you've got to be learning a lot about how to take on other issues, even genetic issues, because now if all of a sudden you have enzymes that can go in and cut the DNA you know, code, you could, I'm assuming, eventually deal with other issues, Alzheimer's or other issues that might be be in the DNA. Yeah, that's exactly true. There, there are a whole bunch of different types of these enzymes. You know, we just talked about one that can cut HIV. People have developed enzymes that can go through and, 
and deactivate other types of genes that could be potentially harmful. It's amazing. So in the downside of a disease, uh, there's, a, there's an upside of learned and knowledge gained. Yeah. In fact, they actually used a, a virus to, to cure a human genetic disease. It's not HIV. It's a different virus that also goes and pates itself into human DNA. It's called adeno-associated virus. And in Europe, their FDA has approved this, this virus to deliver uh, a gene that encodes a human lipase. A lipase is a gene that cleaves up lipids or fats. Hmm. And so there's this very rare genetic disease where people build up very high levels of certain lipids in their blood. And, of course, that leads to other types of diseases. Right. But what they can do is they can take this, this virus that behaves kind of like HIV in terms of pasting itself into the human genome. They put this lipase gene into the virus. They inject it into people's muscles. And then it starts to produce the lipase enzyme. And now these people are cured of a, you know, a permanent genetic disease by you know, putting in good copies mm. of the gene into muscle cells and now, now they're cured. So pretty interesting stuff. That's what's I think also cool, just learning about what you've done with MRSA and other things is there's there's we already have answers in our body that could actually cure our body. It's just you gotta find ways to let it do it and and maybe alter the, the system a little from stopping it. A couple of other things that I found um apparently only forty percent of people who need treatment for HIV are getting it. So that's something we all could be working on is making sure we're being identif- – we identify if we have the, the HIV uh, and also if we are and getting the treatment we need. I guess that's why they need money. That's why they need resources because this isn't – this is a worldwide epidemic, but there's certain cultures and places that have it a lot more than others like Africa. Yeah. Um, what else do we need to know about HIV? Any other myths we need to blow up? Well, I guess most people probably know this already. The drugs are not a cure. The drugs certainly can knock down the, you know, someone's ability to transmit the virus to someone else. And so, if you read, the, you know, what Charlie Sheen was saying when he was diagnosed recently, you know, he he continues to participate in activities with other people, but he said, "Hey, you know what? I was using protection." And when you're on the drugs, it does knock down. It knocks down the the amount of the virus in those bodily fluids mm. a lot. Yeah. So, but you know. But you've got to be careful. You definitely have to be careful because, you know, even condoms, they're, they're not fail-safe. No. You know, they, you know they, they can break down. They can not work. You know, well, so. and I, for me, it was more this idea, too, that don't think that this has gone away. I mean, don't even just think this is an Africa problem or a sub-Saharan Africa problem. This is – this exists and risky sexual behavior increases the likelihood. Yeah. So you've got to be careful. You, you do have to be careful, yeah. And, and for people that are, you know, using intravenous drugs, you know, in many cases, communities, governments or whatever, they, they try and make fresh needles available to try and help them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know much about what the local scene is, is around here yeah. in Utah. But. Um, and the work itself, though, it's, it's going on. So you believe in within 20 years or so we'll be somewhere? I, I certainly think? hope so. You know, the early vaccine work – the vaccines didn't work well at all. In some cases, they actually found that the vaccine, the people that got the, the putative vaccine actually had a higher oh, transmission oh, rate of HIV yeah, that's than, than those who didn't get the We're vaccine We're just infecting prospect. everybody. So, so that's bad news. You know, the fact that we have a vaccine that's 30 percent effective, and that was after a year, of, a year after the vaccine. 
it was more effective three and six months. It was more like 60 to 70 percent effective after a few months. Oh, interesting. So they're trying to do more boosts. You know, mm-hmm. you have this boosting method where you give multiple exposures to it. And so that's one of the things that they're looking at to try and see if they can make that vaccine even better. And the vaccine would probably be for those with maybe more riskier behaviors or in areas where there's a higher incidence. Yeah. It wouldn't just be something we're giving our kids. Yeah. Well, I guess in that sense, it kind of fits in with like the HPV vaccine exactly. to try and prevent cervical right. cancer. And, and boys can get cancers, you know, from this papillomavirus too. So it, it's one of those that it's important to have a family discussion. You know, if we ever do get an HIV vaccine, say, hey, you know, there's always a chance you could get exposed, mm-hmm. even if you don't have any plans on being promiscuous. Yeah, yeah. Know? No, that's interesting. And I think this opens up a really important discussion for all of your kids is let's be real. There's risks associated with your behaviors and your activities. And so maybe let's educate our kids. And also, let's not just demonize it. I mean, if we don't want to create the stigma thinking that the stigma itself is going to keep people from contracting it. Yeah, the stigma is not going to stop you from getting HIV. There are a lot of innocent victims. You know, yeah. a woman could be – she could be perfectly monogamous. Yeah. Her husband can go out and cheat on her. She gets HIV. You know, are we going to judge her even right. though she's, she's never done anything wrong? That's right. You know, so there are innocent people out there that are babies that get infected. If mom's taking her drugs and she's pregnant, there's a very low chance she'll transmit it to the baby. Oh, wow. Good. But what about in sub-Saharan Africa? Exactly. You know, where nobody where they, knows and nobody's taking the yeah. drugs. And, and so little, little kids get infected and it's, they're not doing anything wrong. Man, good, it's, it's great lessons, I think, for all of us. Judge a lot less and, and, and teach a lot more. Yeah. And, and just know if you know somebody that has HIV, you're not going to get it. Yeah, you're I mean, not going to get it by casual contact. Love them, serve them. Yeah, shaking hands, give them a hug. You yeah, know. good stuff. Dr. Bradford Burgess, we appreciate you again. Thanks for uh, being on top of it. Man, every time there's a new story, you're just you're just doing research on it. I'm here for you, man, you're whenever a, you need me. You're a busy man, Brad. It's amazing. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, when we come back, uh, continue this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Do a little wrap-up of uh, the news and the headlines. We'll be right back. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you can't beat information uh, just to get informed and, and educated. Again, and I was very informed back in the day. I really used to know a lot about HIV and about hepatitis C because I was an EMT. But um, don't you dare just sit there and think that this is a disease only in the in the homosexual world, folks. Uh, HIV is killing millions of people a year, um, and again, it's 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 really you know pronounced and prolific in um, the sub-Saharan Africa um, countries. And I guess as we wrap up this this time, let's be real, right? Let's um, th- there there was a, a report out recently that I, I read that. I don't know. It shed a lot of light for me about how you can help your kids the most. And it basically the headline read, and remember headlines are designed to get you to read them, the simple trick to make your teen more cautious about sex. Do you know what this, the, the simple trick is 
according to a new study, says that when parents set rules and guidelines about having sex, teens are less likely to get involved. And they studied 30 different studies that have have over the 30 studies, it, it's validated the fact that setting strong rules and um, understanding and guidelines around sex increases the likelihood that your kids actually won't participate. Now, it doesn't guarantee they won't participate, right? So that's why you need to have these conversations. But can I just suggest that you open up a discussion with your children about HIV, that you talk about it, and that you understand that it is, it's killing innocent people. Uh, it, it's actually on the rise in the black community as well. And the, a lot of the victims in the black community are the women. And so be careful. It's not just a disease in Africa. It's a disease that comes from people that aren't informed about promiscuous sex and unhealthy uh, behaviors and drug use. It's, it's a real disease and it, and it really – and it kills. Um, but also set some rules. Talk about what your values are when it comes to intimacy outside of marriage and set some of those guidelines. And that doesn't have to be an old-fashioned discussion. But talk to your kids for heaven's sakes. I mean we don't need an epidemic to only have the conversation. Let's, let's have it now. Let's talk to our kids about all risky behaviors they might participate in. That's the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you find the good in the world. We'll be back in a minute. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach. You know, everyone needs a coach, a life coach, right? You don't even have to pay for this one. We just bring it to you. That's how that's how nice we are. We just deliver it. It's like you wake up in the morning, you hear a little knock on the door. It's your coach. Here we are. Time to get out of bed. He's screaming top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning. And you're like, what are you doing in my room? <laughs> uh, every morning about 5.45, I wake my kids up. And they hate me for that. But I just, I'm so positive. And they still hate me. Oh, it's so funny. Just turn on the lights. Hey. And I have some kids that pop right up. And they just immediately get right in sync with me. And then others, you're dragging the entire day. I mean, I have one that I can only get him to move if I bring up girls' names that he likes. Really? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want you to say her name. What's her name? Is it like the Mambo Number no. 5 song? Pretty much. A little bit of Marsha. Gina. A little bit of Gina. <laughs> and if I just get him saying the names, then all of a sudden he starts working with me. But see, that's me trying to get them in the groove. Our guest uh, in just a few minutes, uh, Dr. Elad Levinson will be joining us. 
He's a psychologist that talks about the fact that everyone has their own rhythm, you know, and sometimes you get thrown in, thrust into the rhythm of your life, but it's not your pace. You're just like being carried down the river and your pace might be a little slower. And so he's going to help you figure out how to find your rhythm and how to get in your pace. Like, you know, everyone needs that. Your pace, Terry, is not my pace. No, absolutely not. My pace isn't your pace. And who knows what Ben's pace is because he's sleeping all the time. My pace tends to be kind of slow and deliberate. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time when I ask people to do things and it doesn't happen, what are you doing? Then you go off. I love watching you go off. I don't go off. Oh, you go off. Then the, then the all the producers come in my office. <laughs> What's wrong, Katie? He's such a tyrant. <laughs> he scares me. I'm like, be cool. It's cool. But, you know, most of my life, I'm like, yeah, does it matter? Time-wise. Yeah. I mean, you know, you want to accomplish things, but you start setting artificial deadlines for no yeah. reason. I hate, I hate fake deadlines. But when there's an actual deadline, I understand. I even hate those. Yeah. You can, but then you plan and work towards yeah. it, and it's not like it's a surprise. But people somehow either procrastinate or they just don't accomplish their goal. I'm like, well, come on. See, you knew this was coming, right? Well, and, and I think that's what's cool about it is it's your life. You know, like I, I've never been employed. Well, for years, I haven't been employed by a company. I was always my own boss. And now that I'm B- at BYU Broadcasting, I'm I'm – it's a different pace, you know, and like even like a vac- like I'm, I'm trying to plan my Christmas vacation holiday stuff, and it's weird because I would do it at a different pace. Like I used to take two weeks off. That's I could do that. It was my deal. I would just take two weeks off. Yeah. And now, I mean, HR is in my office. Like you can't take two weeks off if you don't have two weeks to take off. I'm like, now explain that again. <laughs> One more time. Drives you crazy. Everyone's at a different pace. So, Elad Levinson will be joining us, talking us about uh, talking to us about your pace, how to find your own pace in the rat race, and uh, we'll get into that. He's pretty cool. Long time practicing Buddhist. Hmm. Going to show us how to get in the groove. We'll go there. Um, also, uh, of course, you know we're going to get into the headlines in a second. Did you hear about? Oh man, they ruin everything. Who? West Point. Okay. (laughs) The superintendent of the United States Military Academy disclosed Wednesday that he will put a ban on pillow fights. Yep. Remember August 20th? We talked about this. It left two dozen freshman cadets with concussions and six with other injuries. So pillow fights with blunt objects in the pillow cases. Like rolls of quarters? Yes. (laughs) The pillow fights at West Point, New York, have long served as a way for the new cadets to build camaraderie. I don't get that. At the beginning of their grueling uh, year, that problem is, you know, they get pretty aggressive. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're striking somebody in the face with a pillow case that has, I don't know, something in it. If you have to wear... (laughs) One of of the reports I read when the the story originally came out is there was helmets. Yeah. Some sort of a helmet in the pillowcase. So they were striking with like a metal helmet. Well, what would be smarter is why don't you all just put your helmets on? Yeah, apparently. And then just have a pillow fight. 
people had broken bones, so, you know, yeah, cuts serious. and bruises sitting in the, the infirmary. Like, and that's like hazing, really. Yeah. And, th- and that's been a problem at some of the military academies is they have these sort of initiatory sort of traditions, yeah. but at the same time, they just kind of swim, they, they slide over to hazing when you right. start tossing rolls of quarters in there. And Well, and uh, again, this is on the show, we do not advocate hazing. We don't believe in it. What about last week? Shh. Be quiet. That didn't quiet. happen. You can't prove it. And we told you everyone goes through it. It's fine. Yeah. The bruises on hey, my sh- arm. Sh- it's okay. Just wear a long sleeve shirt. Quiet. You're good. It's cold outside. No one's going to know. Everybody at one point or another, Benjamin, is taped to their chair. Everybody has been taped to their work chair. I don't know. I talked to Kaylee. Everybody. It helps with morale. Everybody else thought it was funny. We were laugh. I've never laughed harder. <laughs> and then at what point, I mean, how many times just in your work career, Terry, yeah. have you been taped to your chair and then stuck and locked in a closet? Well, never. Oh, you haven't? No. no. You know, it's weird. Me either. Yeah. But it was sure fun to it do hilarious. it to hilarious. Hilarious. And I think the team is closer to, now. No, but the, we, I think the team is a lot closer. Huh. I think it was one of the best team building exercises we've ever had. Kaylee said I should talk to HR. No, nah, H- don't bother. Uh, it's Christmas. You, you know what? I talked to HR yesterday. They're fine. <laughs> They're doing great. <laughs> They're doing great. They don't need the extra work. Hey, by the way, so Legal HR came to me yesterday. They we, always come to you. They're sitting in there just hanging out. Well, no, we're we're trying to solve my problems of life. <laughs> Uh, they brought me a package that apparently they found at the front desk hmm. that was that was sent to me. Was it ticking? No. Oh, good. That's a good sign. But it said perishable. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And it was about- The gift of fruit. It was a month and a half old. Ooh. Yeesh. So as we've been talking about people doing stuff at their own pace- Yeah. Like delivering. So she just came to apologize because, you know, she's like, did you get a call about a package? And I actually, I think I did. But usually what happens is the producers just pick up those packages because they're waiting. You have people. Yeah, I have people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. (laughs) I have people. I'm not like going to get out of my chair. There's there's people to do that for you. Walk down to the – but – She's like, anyway, we're sorry. And then she watched me open it. What was it? It was chocolate. Oh, okay. Just so it wasn't like, you know, pears or something. No, no. Yeah. All these no. fruit flies come out. Everybody's working at their own pace. Yeah. I'm, and she's Currently like, the front I'm desk. so sorry about the front desk. I'm like, hey, we all, you know, make mistakes. We all right. have a package in front of us that sits there for a month and a half. Did you eat the chocolate? No, I've actually oh. – I've still got it and I'm going to distribute it. Just pass it around see what happens? Uh, yeah. I'm not going to touch it, but others are going to eat it. No, it'll be good. It'll be very good. Um, <laughs> anyway, Pillow so Fight's banned at West you, Point. You had chocolate. What's in it? Is it like strawberries? It's, it's sugar-free chocolate. Just chunks of chocolate? It's just a bunch of chocolate Because what's the difference between that and, say, the Halloween candy that's still sitting on my counter? Nothing. No, it's fine. Okay. It's fine. But they just said perishable yeah. and nobody knew what it was. When I looked at the box, I thought maybe it's an organ. Yeah. You know, maybe somebody sent me an organ. Yeah. Mistakenly, there's a heart waiting for And then you. I open it up and it's got like ice packs in Lungs it. Lungs or a kidney. Yeah. The ice packs are melted. Melted. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, who knows? Who knows what this is? Maybe it's an organ. Wow. And it was just chocolate and a yeah. book. Um, 
By the way, it was, it was chocolate in a book from a guest from a month and a half ago. Oh. Yeah, I got to get on that. So I'm going to have you probably send a thank you note. <laughs> I, I'll, I have someone to do that I'll too. Have, so. I'll, have, I'll have Kaylee do it. Um, Anyway, uh, let's get to the headlines. Anything else going on around the world? Absolutely. U.S. Defense Secretary Ash Carter announced Tuesday that the Pentagon is sending more special operations troops to Iraq to help combat Islamic State militants. While not revealing the actual size of the force deployed, Carter said the specialized expeditionary targeting force will advise the Iraqi military and Kurdish militias. And our assessment is that this force and the operations this force will conduct will provide us additional intelligence that will make our operations much more effective. In addition to training Iraqi forces over the last 16 months, the military has deployed special ops forces to Kurdish-controlled territory in Syria to aid the fight against ISIS there as well. The U.S. saw its highest level of terrorism-related arrests since September 2001 this year, a study released on Tuesday reveals. Though the review of, uh, through a review of social media accounts and legal documents, researchers at George Washington University found that 56 individuals were arrested in 2015 for either supporting ISIS or plotting to assist the extremist group. Billionaire industrial, industrialist Charles G. and David H. Koch allegedly considered forming an anti-Donald Trump campaign. According to a Tuesday report in the New York Times, the Kochs had preliminary conversations about using their respective financial networks to undermine the insult-spewing Republican candidacy. Huh. Uh, Hedge hedge fund billionaire Paul Singer has reportedly also had similar discussions. Both parties, however, have balked at the idea out of reluctance to incur the infamously vicious Trump public wrath. (laughs) And then it says, you have to deal with Trump berating you every day of the week. An anonymous uh, strategist linked to both groups explained. They're not. They're not. They don't want to deal with. They're Trump. all afraid. They're afraid of Trump. You know, time's a ticking. Yeah, people need to start. Someone's got to go after him if they're going to do it. If they're going to do it. Uh, Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced Tuesday that he and his wife, Dr. Priscilla Chan, will give 99% of their shares away, roughly $45 billion worth of shares, to honor the birth of their first child, a daughter named Max. We love you and feel a great responsibility to leave the world a better place for you and all children, Zuckerberg and his wife said in a letter to their daughter posted Tuesday to Facebook. We wish you a life filled with the same love, hope, and joy that you give us. We can't wait to see what you bring to this world. It's amazing what a baby does to you. Apparently it makes you give up a lot of money. Well, I, if I were them, I would just <laughs> suggest they wait about till the kid's about 13 before they decide that. Yeah. They may have a different opinion. They might realize, like, we need our money. And in other news, the, crazy. the Florida Marlins have reportedly offered a contract to Barry Bonds. What? As a hitting coach job oh. with the team. So as a hitting coach. Ooh, in Florida. What a great gig. The all-time MLB career home run leader retired as a player in 2007 and was beset by legal troubles surrounding his involvement with illegal performance-enhancing yeah. drugs. Because of his PED use, Bonds has effectively been denied entry into the Hall of Fame. The job would be his first full-time position in the league. In March 2013 and 14, he served as a spring training hitting instructor for the San Francisco Giants. Hmm. So this will be his first job since retiring, even though he's still and out of the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's something. His enhancement drugs helped him have power. Yes. But hitting's an art. It is. But what I always said was it gave him another five feet. So if he hit a, a home run and it would land that's in the park, true. the extra little pop would get it over the fence. So that's he, true. The, how many how many home runs he got because he had a little bit more power? Yeah. You know what, if they, I don't know if you know this, but I, uh, 
I took batting practice at Fenway Park. Yes, the video is on our Twitter page. So if they need, if he does, if he falls through, right? Maybe you could give us some tips. I'll go to Florida. Okay, and do a little. I don't know if he's going to take the job. I mean, who knows? But he I may. Know. I mean, I, I I did hit. You about did about eight balls out of ten. I, I whiffed on one. You impressed whoever was watching. I impressed about, they all, I've impressed a lot of old middle-aged women. They went, whoa, look they were at like, that. like, that guy's got game. He'll fix your marriage and hit a home run, <laughs> or at least a base hit. Huge. That's cool. Cool for Barry Bonds, maybe. Um, we'll take a break, folks, and uh, when we're going to come right back, uh, Elad Levinson will be joining us. He's going to be talking about uh, you know the rat race and finding your pace. Sometimes it's hard. You lose yourself in the rhythm of the rest of the world and the people around you. There are some tricks to make sure that you stay in your ideal pace and rhythm. You still have to deliver results, right? But you can also do so at your own pace. We'll learn the ins and outs, the tricks of uh, finding your rhythm. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, a little Coldplay. Are you kidding me? It's one of my favorite bands right here. Mm. We're going to welcome in um, our next guest. Now, do you ever feel like you're out of sync with yourself or with the world around you? Especially around holiday times, you can, you can also feel like that. Maybe you feel like you're a half step behind everyone or that everyone else is two steps behind you. Either way, these circumstances can be frustrating. Our guest today, Dr. Elad Levinson, he's a psychologist who has some helpful insight on this dilemma about facing your the race at your own pace. He's the author of a recent article um, entitled Facing the Race at Your Own Pace. He joins us now live from California. Dr. Levinson, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. <clears throat> Thanks very much, Matt. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. In fact, this is such a this is such, a, I think, an intriguing concept because I think we think everyone, they're just, you know, we're all human, but truly, we, we're we all running at a different pace, and yet a lot of us don't ever even pay attention to that. Yeah, and I think that you could, you know, you could describe that, or you could kind of look at that from a couple of different perspectives. One of them is, uh, I work extensively in corporations as a, a leadership development consultant, and I'm constantly faced with, you know, teams of people who have markedly different uh, ways that they relate to time, how they relate to deadlines, how they relate to the word urgency. Some people, the word urgency means uh, that you have to get it done now. Other people, it means, well, you know, if I get it done yeah. within the next couple of weeks, that'll be fine. That's fairly urgent, yeah. Or you could look at it from, you know, the perspective of couples. Um, I'm a psychotherapist. I do couples uh, work with people. Yeah. And very often, you know, you see uh, couples or families, and the one of the big issues is that people have different relationships to this notion of pace. And I, I think that 
one thing we should start off with is understanding that pace is <clears throat> analogous to how one experiences time. Mm. I mean, time yeah. Keep... and stress are very closely linked. And so if you feel like you have enough time, then <clears throat> you, know, you generally don't feel distressed. But if you feel like you're under the gun or that you're behind, as you put it, like a couple of steps behind everybody else, then you start feeling anxiety and, and distress. And the good news is that this experience of, you know, kind of our own personal uh, uh, pace is something that we really can control. And and yet it's interesting, too, because I can I can throw you into my pace very quickly, can't I, by just throwing an assignment at you or giving you a deadline um, or, you know, forcing you into a situation that you weren't anticipating – so a lot of us have impact on each other's stress about pace. That's a really excellent point. Let me let me just elaborate on that. I think that there's, you know, two sides to what you're bringing up. One is that we do have these social relationships um whether the I mean I was just thinking about a couple that I was seeing who the the spouse is really into Christmas parties and loves the festivities. They're really extroverted and the, their partner would prefer a very quiet holiday period and not much going on at Christmas, and it would be just fine if we had one event on a Saturday before Christmas. And so there's, you know, there's, there's some level of tension in terms of how you go about resolving that. So that's the, that, I think, is what you were mm-hmm. really you know, getting at, is that people can affect each other. But the second point... Uh, that I want to make is that even if you're being affected by others' um, uh, deadlines or pace, that you can maintain your own rhythm. And, you know, one of the things that I wrote about is that the central anchor, I mean, I think it's useful sometimes to have visual images. And so one visual image that really works for me is this notion of having an anchor that kind of keeps the ship, you know, steady and afloat. And if it's, you know, at at the harbor and there's a lot of wind and rain, it still is weathering that storm. And the the anchor is our breath. And and specifically what I mean by that is that if we learn, and, and it's something you have to train yourself to do, if we learn to uh, influence our involuntary, uh, state of of our breathing, and we we learn to take long, slow, deep breaths in stressful situations. We can actually slow our heart rate down. Mm. We can slow down our response to external situations, and we have much more of a feeling that we're <clears throat> now kind of in our own center rather than being buffeted all the time by others. Yeah. I, I, I'm such a big believer um, in, the, in the breath world and the, the breathing world because I'm, I was sitting there one day and my wife, I, she'd hear me like sigh. <sighs> and she, she'd ask, why do you sigh all the time? And I had never even noticed my sigh and then I started thinking about why I just sighed and why I really wasn't even sighing. I was just trying to catch my breath. And I realize that when I'm stressed, I'm breathing more shallow. I'm not getting as deep of a breath. And it ended up 
it, but I had never in my life paid attention to it, Elad. And all of a sudden, when I start to pay attention to it, mm-hmm. and I know that all I got to do is take a deep, slow breath, then I, it really, it, it literally just reinvigorates me almost instantly. Well, this, that's a great point, Matt. And, and just to elaborate a little bit on that, one of the uh, so just as a, a um, you know, say just one thing more about that. My advice to any client that I work with is that you are responsible for uh, getting um, kind of into your own center. And and that could be, there's a lot of different analogies for that, but mostly it's just a matter of recognizing that you have your own body, your own emotions, and your own physical (laughs) sensations that really are can be influenced by your mind. So it's not so much a matter of mind over matter as it is kind of mind in cooperation with matter. Mm. And then once you begin to get a sense of, you know, the breath, the emotional reactions, the, sen- the sensations that you're having in response, then you can begin to influence your choices. And the, the remarkable thing is that the human intelligence really doesn't get maximized until we have ourselves kind of under our own control. Otherwise, we're really dancing to other people's rhythm. We're also being manipulated. And I don't mean that in, you know, a a, a pejorative way. I just mean that people can, as you say, people can influence us if we don't know um, what we're feeling or how we're reacting. And so this this matter of personal responsibility for really noticing uh, what how we're reacting is the first step mm. in facing the race at your own pace. You have to know yourself, right? You have to I know that's one of your solutions is because you're the only one that can know you. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you don't know what triggers you, if you don't know how stress impacts you, if you don't know like I know I just realized a few years ago how sensitive I am to my surroundings and to information and data that are out there. And so sometimes if I'm getting overstimulated by information, I know that that's going to impact me by stressing me out, making me more frustrated. So I know there's certain times when I'm when I'm being overstimulated, I just need to walk away for a minute. Yeah, that's, you know, the, that that really puts the, you know, really hits the nail. So um, the area of, of study, like if somebody were to, come to me and say, well, how can I learn more about this? A a really good place is the work of Daniel Goleman, um, G-O-L-E-M-A-N. Dan um, is a close personal friend, somebody who I admire greatly, and he's also the author of the book Emotional Intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 30 years ago, Dan began to do some of the most important research uh, to date on how how people differentiate themselves based upon what he called emotional intelligence. And the first skill in emotional intelligence is exactly what you were pointing to, which is know thyself. Mm. Um, and there are, other, there are other aspects of emotional intelligence, which include empathy uh, for others, 
um, being able to regulate your emotional response to situations instead of just putting you know, both feet in your mouth, you're able to see, oh my gosh, if I say that or if I respond in a particular way, my foot is now <laughs> moving towards my mouth, <laughs> and I don't think I really want the taste of shoe leather. Yeah, it's happening. It's, yeah, exactly. And a part of, part of I love what I love about Daniel Goleman is also it's the ability it's the ability to not only kind of know yourself and to be empathic to others it's also the ability to lower your own emotion and to lower the emotion in others yeah well one of the one of the most important contributors in uh, business uh, and business writing um, are four uh, people from your area from Provo um, and they are uh, and they're they're a part of an organization that's called Vital Smarts. Yeah, yeah, we've had them on the show quite a bit. Yeah, talk about that. Oh, well, Joseph, um, Joseph is somebody who I would put in my top ten of all times uh, in terms of the quality of human being. Mm. Um, and I interviewed him recently for a streaming video that I produced called Thriving on Change, and I asked Joseph to be one of nine interviewees. And also, I promoted uh, his, their work and crucial conversations in the video because I think it's the best uh, out there in terms of really effective, um, humane uh, conflict resolution. Yeah. And Joseph, you know, I said to him, Joseph, well, what's the re- you know what's the relationship between what we call mindfulness or self awareness and the ability to enter into a difficult conversation? And his response was, well, it's everything. Really, you, you can't carry on uh, a conversation where there's differences of opinion and strong emotion, and it's really important without being mindful, without being self-aware. Um, and so this, this concept of emotional intelligence is really useful. Hmm. And tying it back to finding your own pace, people who are emotionally intelligent tend to know what they're thinking and feeling uh, in response to external conditions pretty, pretty regularly. It's not, you know, it's not like, oh, a, yeah. a, a week later you recognize, oh, <laughs> I was angry in that situation. And you can cultivate emotional intelligence. I think that's one of the, you know, the great things that Dan has really taught us is because the brain is so adaptable and so mold and we're able to mold it that we can really change our reactions to situations and respond in really positive ways where a year ago we might have overreacted or maybe as joseph um, calls in crucial conversations maybe we would have gone to silence or violence yeah i love i love that idea too and joseph grenny and um the crucial conversations folks, one of the things that I think is so enlightening about what they're teaching is it's learnable. It's teachable. So you're not set in stone. And it's the same thing I think that you probably learned in your Buddhist studies is it's just it's just you just need to apply yourself to yourself and and come to know yourself. That's good. I I like what you just coined. Remember that one. I'm gonna let me write that down right now. I'm gonna yeah, write that one. I'll make down. that a meme. Um, let's well, I just you know here's an example. <clears throat> so I was invited to speak at an international human resource conference in Finland last week, um, and 
So I had 100 uh, human resource executives uh, in the room in Helsinki, um, and the subject was thriving on change. Hmm. And so I have been lecturing and I've been writing about and um, you know developing this video because there are three things that human beings should know. Number one is that the brain is plastic and that we can always learn and that if we make a commitment to being a learning person, that through our whole adult life we can constantly get better and better right. at human relationships and at things that we want to know. That's number one. Number two, that if we don't train our brain, we tend to default to what's called reptile brain or mammalian brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this is the, based on the work of Roger Sperry, um, who discovered that really there are three brains in one. One of them is the, the autona- automatic reaction to distress when we go into fight or flight, and, you know, or that, that you could say silence or violence. Mm-hmm. And then the mammalian brain, which is what controls most of our behavior, is the part of our brain that says, you know, you're part of my tribe, and so therefore, you know, you're okay, but you're not in my tribe, and so therefore you're an enemy, or you're certainly somebody I need to distrust from the very beginning. And that's not a useful concept in today's world. Hmm. We, we, we are highly interdependent, and we need each other um, to thrive. And so it's actually better if we learn to use what's commonly called the neocortex, which is the part of our brain that um, is the executive function, the part of the brain that, that, that goes, oh, you know what, right now I'm having a reaction to what that person just said, and if I don't pay attention carefully to my reaction, I could say something that I, I would regret later. Mm-hmm. That's the executive function. And, that, and, and you choose your brain, and, and so if you're, not, if you're not intentionally training your brain up, you're going to default to the lowest common denominator. Exactly. And you and, exactly. and 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 that inevitably will destroy relationships and and then you are stepping on everyone else's rhythm and then no one wants to be around you. It's like it's like you're just a bad dancer. <laughs> you just yes, I think that's true. You know, yeah, you, you got at, at some point you got to pay attention to the nuances of everyone else. What what's everyone else doing? Yeah, you know, Dan Dan Goldman um, in his most recent one of his most recent books, which is called Focus, um, what he says in that book is remarkable, not so much for the fact that it's breakthrough uh, information, but for the way that he organizes the, the concept. So what he says is, number one, if you don't own your attention, then somebody else does. Hmm. And how do you own your attention? Well, the way you own your attention is just by noticing where your attention is and choosing consciously to direct it to where it would do the most good. Yeah. Second thing that he says is that we can attend, we can focus on self-awareness. We can focus on awareness of others. That's called empathy and sympathy. And we can focus on, and this is what I think you were getting at, we can focus on the context or the environment within which this communication is taking place. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So, see, because you can focus on them, on you, on context, 
mm-hmm. on pattern maybe, uh, you know. Yeah, um, interesting definitely. stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Elad Levinson. And uh, again, uh, he's he's been working in private and public companies, including companies like ICANN, Growth Sherpas, Stanford University. And uh, he's taking his degree in psychology and his expertise in neuroscience and behavioral sciences um, to a whole new level, folks. He's teaching us how to find our rhythm and to be able to, to stay in sync and in pace with others, but still be doing it at your own rhythm, your own pace. We'll take a break, folks. More with Elad Levinson when we come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. Walking in rhythm. If that doesn't bring you back. Hey, uh, joining us on the phone is Elad Levinson, Dr. Elad Levinson, more than 35 years of experience in leadership roles. And uh, he's a thought leader that uh, combines uh, his longtime Buddhist practice um, and his applied neuroscience and behavioral sciences. And he goes out and teaches companies how to how to just basically get people to work together, how to work more effectively together. Today he's talking to us about an article he wrote uh, that was titled Facing the Race at Your Own Pace. Dr. Elad Levinson, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. You bet. What are some... I was thinking yeah. um, when I was listening to the commercials <laughs> in the, uh, the, the break um, about something that uh, really detracts from uh, uh, finding your own pace. Um, and so let me just talk for a moment yeah, please. To you about some of the dangers of um, the uh, of civilized society. Uh, there are a couple of very interesting research articles that speak to the effect that the internet um, and screens have on uh, psychology. Um, one one study uh, particularly really spoke to me, and what what they were saying was that the more time that you spend on the internet, the less concentration you have. Mm. the less focus you have, because the Internet is designed uh, to teach you to skim, skip, and surf. Um, And so what happens is that you begin to actually work at the pace of the Internet rather than your own internal pace, Mm. Uh, because it's just too um, seductive to not click on that link. And as soon as you click on the link and it takes you to the next article, the, the way that the brain is wired is it goes, oh, this is candy. Wow, this is really great sugar. And I think I'll go on to the next link before I've even read what was on that page. And, you know, all of a sudden you yeah. find yourself skimming articles and surfing. And it really has an impact on your ability to feel uh, self-aware there's a, a kind of an automaticity or habit that comes from spending large amounts of time on the Internet um, or on screens. And my advice to people that I work with, my advice to companies that I work with, is use these tools judiciously. Technology is an enabling uh, invention. And what it should enable is to extend 
the, the qualities that we have of human intelligence. So doing research or being able to understand the way that other people think about things. Yeah, the, you know, the Internet is fabulous for that. But don't let yourself get swept up into the habit of just kind of going there to entertain yourself. Because when you do that, you're destroying your own internal sense of rhythm. Oh, it's so true. How many times have I even just spent time looking through news articles, but I don't even read them? I just then archive them so I can use them on the show. And then I realize I'm not even reading articles. I'm spending my entire time just finding articles. Yeah. And then I'm so busy finding them that I'm never reading them. That's a great point. But I, instead, I should just just take it in, enjoy it, read it. There was, a, there was an article in Harvard Business Review um, a couple of days ago that um, linked – it was a uh, research study that showed that people who do less and are more quiet um, are more creative. Hmm. Um, yeah. And that the more input that you get at a certain point, it begins to actually uh, cause more confusion mentally because you now have too many – data points or you have too many, too many choices. And so, you know, this is something that, that you hear over and over again when you work inside companies. People say, you know, I can't remember the last time that I took a day off and did nothing. Or when we went on vacation, all I could think about was my job. I think that this goes back to what we were saying earlier, Matt, about training the brain that it's, it's up to us. It's our personal responsibility to train ourselves to turn off the work mode and to turn on the peace mode or the quiet mode or the, the, the receptive mode. I, yeah. I remember what I, I raised uh, three daughters, and one of my uh, daughters, I was, we, were, we were sitting together, and you know, she asked me to read to her, and I was reading, but I was really distracted by a business problem that I had. And, of course, you know, being eight years old, she picked it up immediately. <laughs> she said, Dad, you know, you're not, you're not really reading to me. And I had to apologize right. because she was right. I was in a different kind of brain mode. I was, you know, still in that kind of work mode instead of really just enjoying her company and, you know, kind of cuddling with her and reading her a funny story. I wasn't even appreciating how humorous the story was. And so that's what I mean about training the brain. When you're doing something that requires being quiet and, and, and peaceful and relaxed, it is not a good idea to be thinking about problems. Right. And and, and I think it it also doesn't mean, Elad, that we, we don't perform. I mean, I think some people make this a binary thing where – Either you're, you know, you're kind of you're doing it at your pace and not producing results or you're doing it at my pace and you're producing results. The reality is you're going to still you're still going to be a good employee. And but you've got to still get results with your daughter. You still have to be connected and in the moment. And um, I guess in the end, it seems like. We can do both. I can do things at my pace, but I need to train my brain to be where I need to be when I need to be there. You needed to be there as a dad in that moment. Right. Um, and I, I guess so many of us just think that it's it's an either or. And if we choose to be 
you know, more present that we might, um, I don't know, I guess we might give up something else, like be less efficient. One of the most important points um, that I struggle with when I'm talking to companies, because I do think that you're right, that there's a um, an implicit bias, um, and sometimes it's quite explicit, that you can either be relaxed or you can be productive. Right. And actually, the, the volumes of research that are coming out of University of Michigan, Harvard University, um, you know, University of California, Los Angeles, show over and over again that the most productive people are people who are emotionally intelligent. Hmm. People who are emotionally intelligent are self-aware. People who are self-aware tend to work at the pace that allows them to be most productive. It's not that they're not flexible and able to change their rhythm if, it, if needs be, but for the most part, they're able to maintain a sense of their own um, kind of sweet spot, if you want to mm-hmm. put it okay. Um, and so maybe one of the first things we really need to do is to get over this dichotomy um, that it's this or that. Actually, the truth of the matter is that, the, the, that relaxation is a precursor to a extraordinary performance. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think, yeah, own that and, and, and believe in that. And then you can go argue for it. Because right. if you are a top performer, there's a great quote I learned, uh, top performers or top performance fosters independence of action. Mm. So the better right. the performer you are, the more freedom you're going to be given because <laughs> you're getting the results you need. And then you can go argue, look, I need a quiet space because I don't work well you know, in this type of situation. Um, yes. Talk yes. – we've only got about a minute left. As we wrap it up, what – if you had to think of one thing, Elad, what's the one thing that – would make the biggest difference initially in just getting in your rhythm, understanding your rhythm, and, and using it to, to get better results? Well, I think it goes back to that, that, um, the, the quote, know thyself. I, I remember when I was in my early 20s that it was the first time that I took the Myers-Briggs type mm-hmm. indicator, MBTI. Um, and what it taught me was that I was more extroverted than introverted, meaning that I tended to like to problem solve out loud, um, that I was more of a feeling type than a thinking type, meaning that I made decisions on the basis of, fee- of, of values rather than just you know independent facts and logic. So I think my answer to you would be take the Myers-Briggs or some kind of personality profile, and just get some insight into who you are. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I do. And because being an introvert would mean your pacing might be different than being an extrovert Definitely in a moment. So. And yeah, and how you need the data might impact it as well. Interesting yeah. stuff. Elad, appreciate your uh, your insight, your time with us today. Again, Elad Levinson, if you go to link, if you just Google Elad, E-L-A-D, Levinson, L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N, and LinkedIn. You're going to find him. You're going to find his articles. Uh, great stuff, Elad. Thanks again. It's, it's important, folks, when you think about your pace. We're all in this world together. And honestly, if we were all going exactly the same speed, um, it might create some issues. You know, we might all arrive 
create more traffic jams. Maybe having everybody at their own pace is handy once in a while. We'll take a break, my friends. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Isn't it interesting, too, that one of the keys to your pacing and your your rhythm of life, some of us just can't say no to people, right? So he, he made a really good point that if if you don't own your own attention, then someone else will. And you've probably seen that or had an experience where you're at work and maybe you're kind of aimless. You're what you're not kind of you're not going anywhere. You're you're not focusing on anything. And then someone can distract you. They can get you involved in a task. They can get you focusing on helping them do something. And all of a sudden, you get you get caught up in living someone else's vision. You end up living their dream, which is, in a weird way, a pretty good sign of leadership is they can get people to follow their dream. But if you want your own dreams to come true, then at some point, you might need to know what your dreams are. So one of the powerful tools to help you eventually learn to say no to people is you've got to know what your yeses are. What are the things that do motivate you, that do drive you? How much longer are you going to stay on that treadmill just chasing life? And at what point are you going to actually start owning and starting to own your own attention, your own focus, and making your dreams come true? It's powerful, folks. It's what separates us. It's what allows you to be human, is you get to take your brain to those higher levels, right? We'll take a break, my friends. We'll come back another hour taking you to the higher levels if we can. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, walking you through life. You know, most of us didn't have an owner's manual when we were born. So we have to figure it out as we go. This is the show where we give you uh, the latest research and information about being human and sometimes just the news to let you uh, know what other humans are doing. Today on the show, we've got a great guest coming up uh, to help you with your holiday. You know, it's sometimes you get a little less health. You, you know, you lose it. You lose your health around the holidays. Sometimes you just you eat too much. You watch too many shows. Well, it's cold outside. It's cold. You don't want to go exercise. Stay you, home and eat chocolate. You just because there's lots of it around Christmas. You, you just want to stay home. I mean, it's not. You're not trying to be lazy, but it's hard. So Judith Wertman will be joining us. Who, by the way, I mean, legit. Holy cow! Women's health. Uh, she ran the research program in women's health at MIT Clinical Research Center. And the founder of Triad, which was a Harvard Hospital weight loss center. It's a big deal. She's going to talk about healthier holidays. You know, how to maybe create some family traditions, some things that we can do around the holidays 
to keep our health. So we'll be talking with her in just a few moments. But uh, we've also we spent some time over the last few weeks um, or days actually talking about some of the weird traditions. And and we brought up a really scary tradition that I didn't know about. Actually, we didn't bring it up. Ben brought it up. Ben brought it up. Yeah. But about what we, what we've been calling recently the anti Santa. Yeah. It's called Krampus. Krampus? Now, now, tell us, Ben, in your German accent. Go ahead. Krampus. Yeah, so so Krampus, like I said. Now, I've shown you, Matt. Krampus. Describe the, what, what this photo of Krampus looks like. Holy Hannah. It's, a, it's, it's the Loch Ness monster <laughs> with horns carrying a pitchfork, and he's got a clown face but with devil eyes and scary mouth. So yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're interested, go ahead and Google Krampus. And Krampus can, is the anti-Santa. He's the anti-Santa. Now, this is happening in a town in Austria where okay. they're, they're kind of concerned. Right. This is a tradition people like. You know, the guy gets – there's a, people that get dressed up in these big furry suits and put on the big horns and the scary <laughs> sort of demon mask. And yeah. That's how you begin the month of December, I guess, in that area of the world. And everyone has fun with it and the, the, the guy – so it, the problem is – the integration of Syrian and Iraqi refugees are facing a very terrifying challenge in rural, rural, rural. I can't rural. say it. There you go, yeah. Austria. So yeah. you know, out in the farmlands, in the boonies. Um, in this holiday season, officials in the village of of Vergin worry about how new arrivals from the Middle East will react to the local tradition <laughs> of meeting these so-called Christmas devils who pretend to abduct children. The, okay. So you're a poor Syrian refugee. You are running from war. Yes. And you show up in Austria, and the next thing you know, you've got devil man Trying to steal beating your kids. you with a stick to steal your children. In the first week of December, the good, the good gift-bringing St. Nicholas wanders through the streets with his evil, scary companions called Krampus, says Kurt Gleisner, the head of the local Krampus club, as he's talking to NBC News. Cra- Krampus? There's a club, yes. This has nothing to do with cramps. No. That... Because, okay. Some of Vergen's around 2,000 residents wear animal skins and don carven, carved wooden masks on oh. nights leading up to St. Nicholas Day, December 6th. Loud bells tied to their costumes clank through the darkness of the night as the creepy creatures wander the streets searching for poorly behaved children. Oh, my heavens. When the Krampus roams the town, he often wrestles people to the ground, symbolizing the abduction of bad children. Fearing the spectacle would be misunderstood, community representatives last week visited the 22 migrants, including 12 children, who have been housed in the Alpine village since the end of October. They were shown the frightening masks and given insight into the, the event's history with the help of an Arabic translator. <laughs> the, the verdict, the newcomers had lots of fun, according to social worker, you know, the social worker. No, they there. didn't. The migrants will now know what to expect when St. Nicholas and Krampus creatures knock on their door. She said the next event planned for families who... Uh, fled war-torn homeland will be uh, traditional cook, cookie baking, which is part of this, the holiday mm-hmm. season. So you start out with abducting children by demonic creatures and move on to cookie baking. Hey, well, first of all, welcome to Austria. <laughs> welcome to the orientation for refugees. Uh, a couple of just little heads up. Um, we are going to have a scary monster that's going to try to steal your children. But we do it to celebrate Christmas, which will take place in a few more days. <laughs> Who so wants to be beaten first? Yeah. And then after, if we all survive the demonic monster, then you'll have a wonderful celebration on Christmas, and then we'll make cookies. <laughs> cookies. Uh, welcome to Austria. Can you imagine? 
what these people must think. So here we have the naughty and nice list. Yeah. There they have this creature that steals children if you're bad. So you better be good. So it's really – it's the kidnapped or not kidnapped list. That's kind of how it reads. Oh, that is horrible. So, is this – been in your experience, is this kind of reading close to the legends or – Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And is this the same guy that hits you with sticks? Yeah. Or a so, version of that. So if I get this straight, uh, you get cir- – you, you're, you're in a circle. Well, they kind, then- the circles kind of form because people are interested about compost. And, and then he just kind of so, hits people with sticks. So what should the kids expect at the refugee you know, placement centers in Austria is that eventually a dark – the lights will go off. A dark, scary character will come in. Then all of the Austrians will circle you and throw you in the middle. And then the creepy guy will get in the middle of the circle with you and beat you with a stick and then probably kidnap you if and- you're a child. And it's it's not really hazing because they do it to every child. Okay. Oh, good. It's not. Oh, it's equal not opportunity. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So if we're gonna if we're gonna psychologically traumatize one child, we're gonna traumatize all the children. That's yes. brilliant. That's brilliant. Now, you, you could suppose that these people coming from Iraq and and Syria. Maybe Christmas isn't part of their celebration well, during yeah. the year. Yeah. Maybe they maybe they don't celebrate. Christmas in general is going to be a little different. But they for sure don't celebrate Krampus. And now they're in Austria where it snows and gets really cold. So that's right. kind of that's. So you got all these different shifts going on, mm. and then this guy shows up and starts trying to steal your kids. <laughs> Just kind of offsetting. So they, they tr- they're it, trying to settle that impact, make it so they can understand they're celebrating. And then at the end, they turn the lights on. They're like, "Merry Christmas." <laughs> <laughs> Your kids are like, I hate this place. I want to go back to ISIS, mom. (laughs) I mean, that is ISIS incarnate right there. Holy cow. And and by the way, we have a clip from um, uh, The Office where Dwight actually dressed up as Krampus. Yeah, so he's Belschnickel, which is the southern German equivalent of Krampus. So he's he's like Krampus's little brother. Yeah, from the southern Germany area. Okay, let's hear what let's hear what Dwight has to say. Move your balls forward. The Belschnickel will decide if you are impish or admirable. Oh, it's like naughty or nice. No, impish or admirable. Quick question: Do you just decide who gets what in the moment, or did you make a list? I decided earlier. Oh, nice. Did you check that list? Of course, I checked it. But more than once, because you could have made a mistake. I checked it more than once. Okay, so you made a list, you checked it twice, and now you're going to find out who's... Impish or admirable? Damn. <laughs> Phyllis fans! Cheer of fear. <laughs> and then he goes on and starts beating people with sticks. Yeah. And apparently everyone in the office was impish. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. So Christmas traditions from around the world. I mean, it could be worse, folks. Just know that. It could <laughs> be worse. Sure, Santa's sometimes a little creepy, you know, at the mall. But they don't have to be. No. At least you're not getting pounded. And chased around with a guy with some and weird called an, goat they, horns on his head. Oh, it's scary stuff. Uh, anyway, again, trying to bring you the insight that you need for the holiday season. We'll take a uh, – actually, no, let's get to the headlines. Terry's right. got uh, some of the headlines around the country. What's going on, Terry? Ben Carson's rise to the top of the Republican presidential primary polling seems to have stopped. A National Quinnipiac University poll out today shows the retired neurosurgeon falling six points in the last month, dropping back to third place with 16% of the – 
uh, Republican voters. Donald Trump in the lead at 27%. Florida Senator Marco Rubio moved up to second place at 17%. And Ted Cruz, Ben Carson tied at 16 That's where they currently stand. Jeb Bush really can't gain traction in the polls in the last couple of months. The former Florida governor, his campaign has been given the largest investment from any one of the 2016 race thus far. $30 million worth of TV ads from Super PAC Right to Rise. The Republican presidential candidate has barely registered despite all that money in any of the nationwide polls in Iowa, New Hampshire, or South Carolina. Wall Street Journal is reporting the latest Quinnipiac University pullout today, for instance, Bush came in a whopping 22 points behind Donald Trump, registering at 5%. Now, Sweet. in other news, President Barack Obama had this to say in Paris earlier this week. I'm anticipating a Democrat succeeding me. I'm confident in the wisdom of the American people on that front. There you go. Hmm. Got both sides there. There you go. <laughs> wow. So there is that. Equal opportunity. The Illinois Attorney General Lisa Magnin is reportedly asking the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division to investigate the Chicago Police Department. The request comes after outcry over the department's cover-up of the shooting of 16-year-old Laquan McDonald last fall and other violent incidences that resulted in the death of, a, of other teenagers. Earlier on Tuesday, Mayor Rahm Emanuel fired Police Superintendent Gary McCarthy. Yahoo.com's board of directors is meeting today through Friday to determine the company's fate. And some of the options include halting the proposed sale of Yahoo's lucrative stake in Chinese internet juggernaut Alibaba. Hmm. Also, they could sell off Yahoo's core internet properties. This all in the Wall Street Journal and the New York wow. Times. Yahoo Mail and Yahoo News are taken together are the number three most visited site on the internet after Google and Facebook, but they represent a fraction of Yahoo.com's $31 billion market capitalization, and they say it's perhaps less than zero of their total worth wow. is these internet properties. Most of Yahoo's value is from its 15% stake in Alibaba, which is like e- uh, what uh, Amazon.com for the rest of the world. Right. It's huge. And they have $32 billion in that company. Mm. And it's 35% share of Yahoo Japan, which is worth $8.5 billion. Still, Yahoo's 210 million monthly view, uh, visitors are worth something. A private equity firms are said to be interested in buying the dot-com and then the mail for around $3.9 billion. So they wow. could sell the internet up. So their value is in this company in China. Isn't that, that interesting? They, they bought a big chunk in years and ago. And they have very little that is theirs in the United States. Yeah. So the properties they have here really aren't making any money for them, and they aren't finding any traction that way. Also, 18 to 34-year-olds, we've talked about millennials, right? Mm -hmm. What's the next generation called? Babies. Babies? No, I don't know. What what do you you call them? I don't know. MTV Uh has figured it out. What? Oh, well, let's trust them. Some of the names that have been tossed around are Gen Z, iGen, Posts, Homeland Generation, the Regen, or Plurals. (laughs) <laughs> MTV doesn't like any of those. Okay. They said they're they're, they're kind of negative. They don't yeah. really have a good tone to them. So they come up with some new ones, including some of the ones they've tossed around, Navigators, The Regenerators, uh, and also and Builders, but they ultimately settled on The Founders. What? Research identifies The Founders. Now, that's- uh, what, what have the, they founded? December 2000. So born uh, kids born after December of 2000. Okay. Say so the Founders Group- as being more pragmatic and independent than their millennial counterparts, having grown up with realist Gen X parents rather than optimistic baby boomer mothers mm. and fathers. MTV President Sean Atkins says the name specifically speaks to the fact that while millennials disrupted, the younger generation has it on themselves to rebuild. 
So well, shouldn't founders. they be called – they should be called grounders. They're grounded. Well, I guess that sounds like we sent them to but the But that's always the race. Who's going to – it's a marketing term, obviously. Right, right. That's the age group. So who's going to name it? That's, mm. a, that's a big thing. The race to name the next generation. Interesting stuff. Again, you only hear it here on The Matt Townsend Show. Many, many, many other stations would never talk about what we talk about. Crumpus. Anyway, we'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, Judith Wortman will be joining us. She's going to be giving us uh, the insight, the the what-tos, the how-tos to have a healthier holiday season. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You're going to have all this great food, these wonderful traditions, and yet it might be the time of year that you really lose control of your health. And uh, then you have to make new traditions, new habits for the new year. Our next guest, Dr. Judith Wertman, is joining us. She's the former director of the research program in women's health at MIT Clinical Research Center and founder of Triad, a Harvard Hospital weight loss center. She's here today to help us understand how we can make sure that Santa is, uh, isn't, is the only one during the holiday season that's gaining weight. We don't have to be gaining weight this year. Dr. Judith Wertman, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really look forward to your show and uh, talking with you You about about this uh, recurrent problem, Christmas. It is. I mean, this is the the Christmas feast, right? I mean, we're going to eat a lot and a lot of treats and fudge, and we're making all of this, this food. We have traditions around making the food, serving our neighbors, taking care of each other. But in the end, our health is maybe the biggest thing that suffers. You know, you're absolutely right. And I I think it's interesting to think about why we tend to feast around this time. Of course, it is, you know, a celebration of an extremely important religious event. But, but, you know, you think about it, in in our life, we always, most of us have enough food all the time. We don't have to save up all of our food for a feast. But when you go back, you know, 50 years even, or or 100 years, people really did not have that much food. They certainly didn't have a lot of sugar and eggs and butter to make the treats that you were talking about, uh, or even, uh, you know, a lot of of meat, uh, you know, to make roasts or, um, uh, you know, let's say a a roast goose or something like Mm -hmm. that, or turkey. And so they saved up the food for a celebratory feast. And they, and many times they shared food with their neighbors so they really could have just a wonderful, wonderful meal for many people. But who today doesn't have the possibility of a feast every single dinner? Right. You know, we go out to eat, our portion sizes are gigantic, we make food at home, we have leftovers. Very few of us, thank God, are in a situation of sort of semi-starvation until we come to a holiday like Christmas when we really can eat what we want. But nevertheless, we still eat <laughs> at Christmas like we haven't seen That's a right. piece of meat or a cookie, you know, or, like or we're a, famished. a pot of butter. It, it, exactly. it is such a great point because um, – so these traditions we're living about food may just date back to the days we didn't have the food. And so maybe we exactly. could replace a few of them or alter them. So they're not so food-centric or gluttony-centered, I guess, um, and, and instead become, I don't know, maybe service-oriented or something else. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, a really wonderful meal. Sure. And perhaps the emphasis should be in our overcommitted, extremely busy lives, not the quantity of food, but perhaps, you know, I'm thinking about, about myself, you know, right, yeah. cooking, just finishing cooking Thanksgiving dinner, you know, spending more time in the kitchen and making food, not with haste and not, oh, here I go again, having to make dinner, mm-hmm. but, you know, with the love and attention and, and joy of making food for people that are very special to me. And so perhaps taking more time with the ingredients, taking more time with the preparation so that it's not just one, two, three, I'm throwing something on the table. And perhaps that's how we should look at Christmas eating, that you know, we're making things with great love yeah. and, and sharing. And, and so if it takes us three hours to make a special cookie or a pie or you know, some kind of casserole that normally we'd be throwing together in 10 minutes, that's how we're contributing to the joy of having a feast, not let's have 17 dishes, <laughs> all of which you know, have too many calories. Right. Well, and, and I guess, too, and, and maybe involve other people in the kitchen with you and have a yeah. conversation and share a really deep discussion for three hours or spend more time at the table, not just eating, but connecting Talking, talking. That's, you know, that's exactly right. Because I, you know, when was the last time that many Americans actually sat down at the table with all their family together? Mm-hmm. You know, at the same schedule, the people came home from work and the kids came home from their after-school games and their after-school, uh, you know, additional school and, and music lessons, what have you, so that everybody sat down and ate at the same time. And it is a shame that we have to wait for special holidays to do this. But at least knowing that that is happening um, makes it, I think, very special. And also when you have relatives and friends coming from other parts of the country. You're right, it's not the food. But that, you know, it is the company and the conversation and the sharing of, of goodwill and happiness. But that being said, there really are many, many parties. You know, there are oh, parties yeah. at work and the parties at school and parties, you know, in, in your neighborhood and parties even stores sometimes give out cookies and <laughs> apple cider, what have you. Right. And it really is so hard not to overeat. And I, I think that... Um, there's no reason. I think when people have to go back to basics. You know, is it so unusual to say to people, you know, you really don't have to eat if you're not hungry? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. You know, sometimes you, know, you walk or, you know, you go to a coworker's desk and sit there's some cookies there or you're at school and a teacher brings in a, a wonderful coffee cake. But you're not hungry. You don't. There's no obligation for you to eat. <laughs> you know, I think that you sort of say, "It's true." Do you really want to eat that right now? But we don't do that. We just put the food in our mouth. I think that's one thing we have to think about. And the other thing, it's very important for especially people who are thinking, or have to get the meals together for the family. Okay. Is my family eating vegetables today? Are they having any fruit? Are they having any very low-fat dairy products like milk or cottage cheese or yogurt, especially the kids, so they're getting calcium? You know, are they drinking enough water uh, or uh, or or, you know, perhaps, um, well, basically water, maybe carbonated, you know, water, like mm-hmm. a, a flavored beverage or something like that, but without the calories, you know, are they having fruit for dessert and not eating cookies or, or ice cream or cake? Um, I think that it's important to sort of run through your head and say, okay, what are we all going to be eating today? Are we going to be going from one party to another and not having any real food because it's just appetizers? Right. Well, let's make sure that we really eat something substantial before we leave home, even if it's a matter of having maybe some tuna fish or having some cottage cheese with some fruit. Make sure that before you go out to those parties that you have something in your stomach so that you don't immediately go for that very creamy, cheesy oh, dip yeah. with, the, with the French with the potato chips. <laughs> and 
and you know, and 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 or or load up on on some kind of a a creamy casserole that you know has egg yolks and mm-hmm. <laughs> and cream and and you know your arteries are saying help help. <laughs> They're hardening as you're sitting there. But yeah, Judith, exactly. I, I sit there and I imagine if I knew somebody like you that was was an expert in healthy eating. I mean, the fun thing about the holidays too is it could be a great time to try something new. Like if you are hosting the event. Try try new food. I mean, I remember eating the first time I ever ate a stuffed mushroom was huh. at a Christmas yeah. like meal, and it was an appetizer. And I thought, wow, that's You're good. Right. And I thought for the first time I had never tried mushrooms, let alone stuffed mushrooms. But it might be a great way to, you know, sneak in healthier options as as just new options. No, you're, you're, that's a brilliant idea. You know, think about, you know, the sort of starchy salads that people tend to serve, like the pasta salad or the, the potato salad. Yeah. Why not make a quinoa salad? Oh, yeah. Or a, a tabbouleh, you know, and, and, and I don't know if people know what quinoa is, but, it's, you know, it's a very high-protein grain, and you can mix all sorts of vegetables with it and dress it with a little bit of olive oil and perhaps, you know, lemon juice. And uh, you know, that that is such a... You know, a very healthy dish that once people eat it, they say, wow, this is good. Maybe I'll have it during the rest of the year as Mm -hmm. well. Or, you know, try perhaps making, uh, instead of having, you know, roast beef or, or, you know, any other kinds of meat, which are really very high in fat, but perhaps you can try making fish-based appetizers that, or sea or shellfish appetizers if they're not too expensive in your part of the country because they're certainly much, much lower in, in calories. I mean, remember... There was a time when nobody knew what sushi was. Right. You know, yeah. Right. I mean, now it's in every supermarket. But when did, where did sushi appear? It appeared, you're right, at, at, at Tater Defense. Mm-hmm. You, well, know, it, you, you, you first sat in the restaurants and then, oh, I'm having a wedding and we're going to serve sushi. And people said, what's that? Yeah. And they began to like it. But if you, if, you serve sushi, if you serve sushi at Christmas, it would be gone. It, people yeah. would eat it. I mean, it would be unconventional. But everyone I know would eat it. I mean, that's what's amazing is all of a sudden, if the option were there, I mean, is is the tradition the turkey? Is the tradition the stuffing? We just did that for Thanksgiving. So Christmas might be a great way to introduce a whole different fare. Yes, and you know, I know there's something else I think that I'm thinking about the preparation of meals. In a way, you know, putting a roast in the oven or ham or turkey is really the easy part. You know, you put it in, you baste it, you know, you may season it ahead of time. And then, of course, the hard part is carving it. Right. But think about the time that you have to spend making vegetables. Vegetables take a lot of time. You have to peel them and dice them. And, you know, if, if there's something like squash, you have to take out the stringy part of the middle. If you're making Brussels sprouts, you have to cut off the ends. You have to, you know, taking carrots, you have to peel them. And, and so it takes a lot of time, and a lot of people don't want to take that time. But on the other hand, getting back to what you said, what if instead of you know, making, you're making the main point of the meal, this turkey that you just threw in the oven, what if you really looked up, and the Internet has hundreds, oh. thousands of recipes. Yeah. You know, look, how can I make Brussels sprouts today, or sweet potatoes, mm-hmm. or carrots, or string beans, or grilled asparagus or something that really are different? Because that's where the love yeah. and time and care come into it. You can't throw a vegetable at somebody and have that person eat it unless you spend a lot of time <laughs> right. thinking about how to make it taste good. And and, and, and then and the challenge that, of that's yeah. fun too. I mean, it might be if you have if you have your dinner guests bring have them all bring their best vegetable that no one's ever tried. 
That's right. I mean, think about something like a, like grilled asparagus or, or oh. Brussels sprouts, which no one ever ate. Right. No one ever ate. Right. 15, 20, you know, 10 years ago. Now everybody eating Brussels sprouts, roasted <laughs> or some other way. And yeah, and of course it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And if people fill up on the vegetables, they're not going to fill up so much on the on the foods that have, you know, just tons of butter and cream and egg yolks yeah. and cheese. Because that is, you know, you really want to live beyond January 1st. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. We're speaking with Dr. Judith Wortman. Judith, hang on a second. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a minute or so. Um, I want to come back and continue to talk about how to how to keep the holidays healthy. You don't have to just jump in and, you know, to hardening of the arteries. You could actually, you know, keep some new traditions, make some new traditions, generate some new ideas for health around the holiday season. Stick with us. More from Dr. Judith Wertman. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Dr. Judith Wertman. Uh, she has written five books, including Eating Your Way Through Life, The Ser- uh, Serotonin Solution, and Managing Your Mind and Mood Through Food. She and her husband edited a series of books on nutrition and brain. She's written over 40 peer-reviewed publications, and she's joining us today to uh, help us make sure that we keep the holidays healthy. If, if uh, if we can, and I know we can, she's already come up with a million great holiday meal awareness ideas. Welcome back to the show, Judith. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. You bet. I, I was thinking about something during the break I just wanted to bring up, and that is we look about the holiday time as a time of, of happiness and joy and giving to others. But, you know, a lot of people get depressed mm-hmm. around this time of year, too, because of the winter darkness, you know, the fact that we don't have that many hours of daylight compared to July. And a lot of people suffer from winter depression yeah. or something called seasonal affective disorder. And that has an impact on their eating and an impact on their weight gain. Because one of the characteristics of that is that you, of, of seasonal affective disorder or winter blues, is that you have this real craving for carbohydrates. Mm. And, and and it's really related to the fact that if you eat the carbohydrates, you'll make more of a chemical in your brain called serotonin, and that puts you in a better mood. And people should be aware if they're feeling sort of irritable or anxious or tired. They may have this, and they may find themselves eating the wrong kinds of carbohydrates, which sort of ties into the Christmas cookies yeah. and the Christmas pies. And it's like the Christmas comfort candy. foods. Exactly. Isn't it? You want those, you want yeah, like, exactly. yeah, you want the macaroni and cheese, the comfort food. Right, right. And so I think if you are aware of it, and, you know, for many, it's just subtle, you know, like you feel grumpy, you know, <laughs> yeah. you feel, compared to how you might have felt feel in July. And so if you are craving these carbohydrates, be really careful that you don't satisfy the craving with these, with foods that have a lot of fat to them, like a, a, a cookie that's made with, Two sticks of butter. You know, oh yeah. Or, or 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 pie crust, which is made with lard or butter, um, or, or you know, various or, or chocolate candies that that are very obviously very fattening. Try to satisfy your cravings with healthy carbohydrates, you know, like oatmeal mm-hmm. or like you know the, the uh, you know perhaps uh, a baked potato or a sweet potato or um, some other kind of breakfast cereal. Uh, those those are healthy 
carbohydrates. You, yeah, ha- so go for rice, carbs. Carbs are fine, yeah. right? But just go for healthier carbs. Exactly. And I said, the only reason I say this is because there's so many unhealthy, high-fat carbohydrates yeah. that Santa Claus is bringing to us. Totally. It also seems like energy is a big deal um, because I'm assuming if we're eating all of these unhealthy carbs and if, let's say, our serotonin is a little bit lower and when we have time off, we may not have the energy to go exercise. We're, we're exhausted. We just want to veg. Are there, are there any tricks we can use for our energy? Yeah, I th- one thing, uh, first, um, I think it's very important to get enough sleep. And I think you sort of mentioned that it, because if you are up, you know, if you're getting much less sleep because you're writing Christmas cards, right, you know, shopping right. and wrapping presents, decorating the house, you know, traveling, that is going to really sap your energy and really also decrease, you know, your, your good mood because people tend to get um, really irritable when they don't get enough sleep. And even their attention span seems to a decrease. So if A, get enough sleep. Make sure you get enough sleep, you know, if, even if it means not accomplishing everything that you think you have to. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is stay away from high-fat foods because they, when you eat a lot of high-fat foods, as one of my friends said, all you're really good for is testing mattresses. <laughs> you, know, you, know, that, you know, you just feel so logy and tired yeah. and you don't feel like moving. And thirdly, try to get outside when the sun is shining. If the sun shines, yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's not a cloudy part of the, of the country, because the, having that bright sunlight on, you know, looking in your eyes really does perk up your energy. It's sort of getting rid of a, of a little bit of the, the winter blues, you know, not getting rid of the darkness and, and being outside. And so if you can act, do something outside like walking or, you know, even skiing or, or you know, uh, sledding or something with your kids, that really, I think, will perk you up, even though you may be involved oh, in physical yeah. activity. Um, I mean, and, and lastly, don't make excuses for yourself. I mean, it's so easy to say, oh, I'm tired, I don't mm-hmm. have the time, you know, it's cold outside, I don't want to go to the gym. But even if you can just m- move a lot more than you normally would, you know, just get up and, and don't use the remote on the TV or walk up and down the stairs in your house um, or, or just walk around your the outside of your house and put food in your bird feeder. But do find some to move because interestingly, as you start moving and doing some physical activity, you increase blood flow to yeah. your brain. There you go. And all of a sudden you think, hey, you know, I feel better. Yeah. And, and, so, and you're back to you. I mean, then then you yeah. might be able to make better choices and then start leading your life instead of just being led. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think many times people may give themselves the excuse of being overwhelmed with Christmas preparations, not in a good way, you know, to say, okay, I can eat what I want, you know, I'm too tired to think about making a good meal for myself, and I don't have to exercise, and you can't do that, because, you know, every day, every day, your body counts on you to making sure that it's a healthy day for your body, and, you know, as one of my friends once said a long time ago, you know, life is not a dress rehearsal, you're just going through it, (laughs) you don't have a second time, a second chance. This is it. This is your shot. Uh, Dr. Yeah. Judith Wortman, we appreciate you. That It's such great insight. And is the best place for them to go reach you at serotoninpowerdiet.com? Yeah, that would be fine. And we have a wonderful forum of people who are following the diet who exchange information with each other. And, uh, and I, I also have um, every week a blog on something free. Look at it, Psychology Today oh, Online, yeah. you know, about some of the things we were talking yeah. about. So people can read that, and if they want to make, get in contact with me, all they have to do is just make a comment, and I get it, and That's I can great. respond to them. All you got to do is look well, up I Judith Wortman. Yes, exactly. 
Anyways, have a wonderful Thank holiday. Thank you, Judith. Wonderful talking to you. You too. Good to talk to you again. <laughs> Happy <laughs> holidays <laughs> and great ideas. When you think about it, it it's really it, – so much of it is about your chemistry, right, and your traditions. You might be living a tradition you don't even think through um, because, you know, you're just – it's all about the food. But maybe the food could turn into better relationships, better connections. Powerful stuff. Go look up Judith Wertman um, on uh, Psychology Today or – serotoninpowerdiet.com we'll take a break my friends come back visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation hey I've got a present I'm going to give them I already know what I'm getting them both for Christmas it's so cute you will die stick with us folks this is the Matt Townsend Show Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A uh, little Paul Simon. you got to love this guy. Hey, and uh, it's so appropriate as we shoot it down to our buddies. Actually, they're on remote at Deseret First Credit Union. Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. With Hello, Matthew. Hey. In your nice, warm, comfy radio booth. Oh, it's cozy. Where are you guys? We are, are... outside of Deseret First Credit Union. <laughs> Well, luckily, it's only 20 degrees today. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, we're we're spoiled. Like, the people that have been, that were setting up here, mm-hmm. it was like 12 degrees when they started. They've been oh, here man. at, what, 6? Holy yeah, got, 6 to now. We've got space heaters. We've got hot chocolate. We're bundled up. You're fine. shining now. We're feeling great. Apparently, they thought someone cool was going to come host the show today. Oh, did they? Showed up and they were like, oh. Oh. Oh, it's you guys? <laughs> oh, there you go, man. Tanner Mangum is going to join the show today. Yes. Uh, quarterback. He's going to join us outside. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Is that a good idea? Yes, it's, it's a to, good idea. He'll fall out before the bowl game. It'll be fine. I know. You don't want him to get a cold. He's not going to get a cold. He's got a girlfriend that guy's to been keep on, him warm. That guy's he been does. on fire since the Hail Mary against Nebraska. Yeah, he dude. has. Good. Hey, make sure he's wearing socks because my grandma taught me that if I don't wear socks, I'll catch a cold. I, got, I told, got two pairs yeah, on, baby. Jerem told me on the way over here he he legitimately considered for a second like wearing just a t-shirt and some shorts and be like, yeah, yeah, tough guy, fan like, weather, like an old lineman, offensive lineman. <laughs> hey, before I know, the game I, comes out. And my wife, no sleeves. every game, my wife asks, why aren't they wearing why aren't they wearing long sleeve shirts in the cold weather? Because <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. They, they're not. They're too tough for that. Hey, uh, you guys, I've got to ask you something. And I'm, I'm going to get serious with you for Just a minute. Just do it. Um, do you guys like macaroons? I like macaroons, yeah. No. Oh, man. What's wrong with Jerem? Jerem? Okay, let me ask you this. I don't hate them, but I don't like them. I, I, I figured out what I'm getting you guys for Christmas. Okay. We're not getting you anything. Let's just... Be straight up. Speak for yourself, Jerem. Yeah. <laughs> After I get you something, I promise me you. I promise you, you will want to get me something. Ooh. I have you guys ever heard of crumbs and whiskers? Crumbs and whiskers. No, but no. you have my attention. Okay, listen to this. So, crumbs and whiskers. It's a. It's it's a. It's like a. What would you call it? It's a charity. I think it's a business, but it's kind of a charity to get stray cats off the street in D.C. <laughs> And um, <laughs> excuse the cats there. Um, so what I'm going to buy you guys is a basket of kittens, and for a hundred bucks, I'm going to send the kittens to your house, 
and you'll have 30 minutes to eat macaroons and play with the kittens. But that's a real thing. It's a real thing. It's only 99 bucks. And then what they will rent do Rent a kitty? It's kind of it's a it's a rent a litter basically. Oh my goodness. And it's it, you'll get a whole basket of cats and then what happens is you uh, uh, somebody from the organization will call to make sure you're healthy, that you're good with cats, that you're safe and then they'll send someone over and they'll set up a pen in your room and then you can just sit there for 30 minutes, they time you while you play with cats. Listen, my four-year-old would love this. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, he would love, seriously, yeah. he would love that. Yeah, so I'm doing it for you guys. Now, here, that sounds amazing. But we have a barrier. There's a barrier because this... This, there, this is BYU. There are lots of barriers. There's a big barrier because this actually is in Washington, D.C. Oh, so, can't do it in Utah? No. Oh no, they can't ship them the out. Shipping they, on they, that will well, be... Uh, well, and they tried it, and sometimes the cats don't make it. So getting a cat, getting oh getting a basket of dead cats, it kind of ruins the holiday. So I I hate getting a basket of dead cats for Christmas. Like no, seriously, that is the worst. Nothing says bad Christmas than when you open your cats. Clearly, I was on the naughty list. <laughs> yeah, you know you're on the naughty list if you get a basket yeah. there full of dead cats. It's super sad. Everyone ever. So um, anyway, I, I need you guys to somehow get to Washington D.C. and then I'll give you your gift. Okay, you can do that. But I won't provide the trip. You just need to get there. All right. Okay. Oh, and okay. find and find a place where you can sit for thirty minutes. Say no to dead cats. This is not <laughs> uh, compelling me to want to get you something for Christmas. <sighs> hey, while you're don't worry about him. Yeah, I just want to be. I just want to be straight up, though. That okay. We're not going to get any, any ch- hey, each other anything. Hey, while you're at the credit union, there um, yeah. isn't that the one, is that the one on South Campus? Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Can you run over and get me some Korean food? What kind of Korean food would you like? Isn't the Korean food right there? Cup bop? Yeah, cup bop. Oh, you want cup bop? Isn't that right there? Yes. Yeah. Just grab me something. But not... Just remember, I'm kind of a gringo. Mm-hmm. You know I went to Korea on my mission. I totally do. I, the, but, and I speak three words of Korean. Well, and those, did you just use them right there? Yeah. So, yeah, that was weird. Hangugmal. <laughs> that means Korean language. <laughs> that means bring it <laughs> in like Jeez. super low what disrespectful that? form. What is that? What? I don't know what I'm saying. Where, have, you been, have you been teaching him? Is that what you're like, doing? Like the show. Yeah, I told Spencer I want to learn a uh, little Korean. Well, little like, is the like operative word there. a Bulgarian dude told me uh, how to say I'm fluent in Bulgarian. Mm-hmm. So I say that to Bulgarians. They're like, and then they'll say something to me. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're saying. You're like trilingual. You're, you're no. quadlingual. No. I'm one of those guys that would teach people, like, hey, teach me how to say you're an idiot. And I teach them how to say, like, you're beautiful. So they'd be like, you're beautiful. I what like your eyelashes. Yeah, boy. Like, oh, you're beautiful. Yeah, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. That is so weird. That's what's weird about, you know, BYU is so many people know other languages. Yeah. It's pretty neat. It's an interesting place. Hey, are you guys doing that show thing today? Absolutely. We didn't come out here for nothing. You're not out there freezing for nothing. I'm staring at the Deseret First Dual Trophy right now, brought to you by Deseret First Credit Union. Ooh. And it just so happens to be a BYU-Utah game day in Salt Lake City. Oh, uh, yeah. For men's basketball. We're going to be up wow. there tonight. The oh, that's going to be good. That's big league. Who do you think is going to win? Do you want to throw that down? And, uh, we'll tell you how BYU wins tonight. Okay, we'll there you the go. recipe for success for BYU to pull off an upset. By the way, the Cougars an eight-and-a-half point underdog right now. Yeah. In Utah. And as Salt mentioned, Lake City. Tanner Mangum. Big man on campus, the quarterback. That's my quarterback. He'll, He'll be on set with us today, yeah. as well as 
the Vegas Bowl director. We'll John Sassenti with us. Yeah. Man. Hey. We'll ask him uh, what kind of you know, draw would BYU be. Ask, ask the Vegas Bowl guy if, if the Utes are coming. We will. We'll because ask how interesting the possibility. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about the possibility. Of I'll that. ask directly. Don't worry. I know you. I know you. I don't worry about you. I don't Would worry that about factor you. into the Deseret First duel of BYU and Utah oh, playing each other in that football? would be fun. In the That's bowl an game? official. Yes. Let's do okay, it. Okay. So we have close a confirmation that will happen. Okay. Close the deal. Close okay, the deal, boys. Okay. okay uh, go do your show. Stay warm. If you need to, you can go cuddle. Cuddling shares body temperature. In my contract, it says no cuddle. Okay. Just checking. Except with cats. <laughs> That's what HR talked to me about yesterday, too. <laughs> hey, thanks, you guys. Have a great show. Thanks, Dr. Man. Knock them dead. I'll be sending the kitties over. Um, interesting stuff. That's cool. I mean, they want the cats, Ben. I'm sending the cats. I think it's a great present. You should see what I'm getting you. Uh, I hope you like Iguana. Cuddle and Iguana mm-hmm. Company. Yeah, for sure. Hey, did you hear about this uh, woman? Seventeen point five million bunker for a for a bunker for the ultimate survivalist. A posh underground bunker has just hit the market for a whopping seventeen point five million. Located in Georgia, if there's ever a nuclear war, you'll be well protected in this bunker, dubbed the facility. Is 45 feet underground. It's certified to withstand a 20 kiloton nuclear blast. Goodness gracious. According to the listing, the bunker has walls that are three feet thick, um, 4,000 to 6,000 PSI hardened concrete, contamination showers, a new secure air intake system. Holy cow, this is a nice facility. Imagine the parties you could have in that bunker after... Armageddon. Isn't that amazing? Who's going to spend $17 million for a bunker? I mean, I'd be worried you wouldn't have any. Oh, hold on. There are two DSL broadband lines going through that bad boy with static IP address. Would you still have internet after a nuclear bat blast? Oh, for sure. For okay. sure. Oh, it's going to stick around. I mean, everyone will be dead that runs the interweb. But imagine, imagine the bandwidth you'd have. Nobody would be using it. (laughs) It also has a modernized commercial kitchen and a 100-yard outdoor firearm range, which you know you're going to need. Because at that point, you're fighting for everything you got. This is a luxury bunker. It has apartments that sleep up to 13 people and five staff and a home theater that seats 15. That's fantastic. So if you need a present and, you know, you're worried about end-of-the-world stuff, get a bunker in Georgia. But, folks, this is going to move fast. It's moving fast. So if you're interested, look it up on the interweb. Hey, we always like to end the show, as you know, with a hero of the day. Today's hero is 13-year-old Andrew Patton. He's a boy from Glasgow, Scotland. The young boy's quick thinking saves his grandfather from drowning. Listen to this story. Andrew Patton leapt into action after Saturday um, um, when, when uh, Sandy Malcolm 
82 fell overboard in the waters of Loch Fien in Argyll. The 13-year-old from Glasgow cut the engine to stop his grandfather from being hit by the propeller, and he tied a rope around him. And Mr. Malcolm, who has a heart condition, was unable to climb on board, so Andrew called 999, I guess the equivalent of 911. The Coast Guard broadcasted uh, a mayday uh, call, and the boats in the area tracked down the pair thanks to the team giving their location. As he saw the other craft nearing, he sounded a horn to help further identify their position. Andrew was awarded the Chief Coast Guard's Commendation Certificate yesterday at the presentation at Troon in Ayrshire with a special flyby by the Royal Navy. How cool is that? Search and rescue helicopters. Chief Coast Guard Keith uh, Oliver said, Andrew is to be congratulated on his calmness, bravery, and effective actions. The proud teen was very excited about the uh, award, and people said that, you know, he while he was getting the award, he said, always wear a life jacket. Let someone on show know, sure know where you are, where you're going, when you're leaving, when you'll be back. Great advice by Andrew Patton. You're the hero of the day, folks. That's pretty cool. 13-year-old boy. Again, it doesn't take uh, everything to be uh, the hero. It just takes sometimes being present, being wa- being there, having some... Uh, Having your head in the game a little bit, a little preparation. That's the show, my friends. We're going to come back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to keep you informed, to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. Again, you can find the podcast of the show. Just go to iTunes or tune in. Or you can also go to Podbean and look us up. Or go to BYUradio.org. Share them with your friends and your family. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow giving you the information you need again tomorrow. Until then, take care of each other, look after one another, and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.